lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 194 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, August the 5th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everyone who tuned in last time. Our guest was Chad Blesnick, Mr. C. Blez. Great episode. Check that out on the YouTube channel. I'd like to mention some sponsors, shout them out. Please join over 400,000 people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, and share your collection with your friends, and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. They have some new grading partnerships. Check out their Instagram accounts, and please join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, Use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to $1 million is fully insured by their guarantee to use Veriswap, upload your inventory, make trade partial, trade full cash offers, and negotiate with the thousands of traders already on the platform. Check them out on iOS and Android. And also, Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect, will be joining us shortly for the Vintage Spotlight. Check out HoppyNewsDaily.com for daily dose of hobby news and entertaining content. And also, feel free to please join the Tag Discord or Facebook group. Both are live. You can join other hobbyists chatting, buying, selling, trading, tag slabs, sharing picks, talking, shop, and connecting with hobbyists who do like transparent and reproducible grading. You can go to taggrading.com, visit the community app uh, tab, and join either of them want to thank all spark sponsors and partners of sports cards live your ongoing support and all of our loyal viewers and listeners if you're not yet subscribed please take a moment and do so and before we get to tonight's guest just want to make note that yes we're looking at a different background here literally 20 minutes before we were supposed to go live my internet went down so i am on the phone, I am not on Wi-Fi, I am using your regular 5G, so let's see how it goes tonight. But on to, the, on to tonight's guest. He joined, the, he started in the hobby at the age of five, going to his local LCS, spending his $10 allowance on singles and packs of Topps Gold Label that had Peyton Manning's rookie card. He's been in the hobby ever since, aside from a small break during high school, and the last year and a half he retired from his teaching career and went into sports card dealing full time. His favorite teams are the Las Vegas Raiders, Boston Celtics, Boston Red Sox, and the Boston Bruins. He's originally uh, his favorite athlete, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Larry Bird, David Ortiz, and Cam Neely, originally from small town Massachusetts and currently hailing from one town over from small town Massachusetts. Let's bring him out. Here we go. There he is. Kevin Randall, the Captain 37. Welcome to Sports Cards Live, my friend. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing tonight? Well, you know, as I just mentioned, um, I've been in a, in a panic for the last half hour trying to work out my uh, internet issues. So here we are. Hopefully the batter, the phone battery stays alive. The AirPods battery stay good. But uh, with that in mind, let's jump in and right. learn a little bit about, well, first of all, man, you're back from the national it's about what's today, Saturday. You're not even six days back from the national. Are you recovered? How are you feeling right now? 
I, I needed a full like 72 hours to recover from the national. Um, it was absolutely insane. And for me personally, you know, I had some stuff happen in my personal life um, during the show. My uncle passed away. I was sick. Um, and, and just the sheer traffic and busyness of the show. I was physically, mentally and emotionally spent when I got home. Uh, we hit the road running after the show on Sunday, pulled into my driveway 9 a.m. Monday morning. And I slept from like nine to dinner time and then uh, dinner hang out with the kids and right back to bed. And it, literally 72 hours I needed to fully recover. So I'm right to roll. I'm back to myself. Um, but that show, uh, you know, people sometimes don't realize it, it, it takes, I know it took a lot of the walkers. I have plenty of friends who are walking the show um, who weren't set up as dealers, but from the dealer perspective, boy, does it take a lot out of you. Um, so, but ready for the next show, ready to roll now. Ready right on to the, it's like whenever these big shows end, whether for me, the national, the expo, as soon as you get home, it's starting to count down to the next one. And uh, what is the next one for you? So um, I set up at a smaller local show in Dedham, Massachusetts. That's going to be middle of the month, um, August 20th. Um, the Causeway show put on by the Card Vault team and Chris Costa is the 19th. I usually set up at that, but had family plans. I can't cancel for that. And then I'm off to the Burbank show uh, Labor Day weekend. That's my first time. I, I've never been out to the West Coast. So that's my first time going out there. I've heard unbelievable things about that show. And that convention center in Anaheim looks huge. It looks unbelievable. So it's almost like it, it looks like it could potentially have, you know, be a second national in a sense. So I'm really looking forward to getting out there. That's my next bigger show. So um, a lot more to come for that for that show on for me. Um, a lot of prep work to do there. But I've enjoyed just kind of winding down and kind of getting back to real life after the national and kind of settling back in. Right on. Well, good thing. Um, I'm hoping to see you at the Burbank show. I'm not sure that I will yet. I'm still about 50-50. But uh, let's say hello. We got Tip of the Mitt uh, joining us. Good evening to you, JQM78. Welcome to the show. Stukes in the house. It's great to meet Stukes at the National. Good to see you. Gary Martin. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see my finger here as I'm tapping on comments, you guys. And also, I might, my camera might go out, Kevin, just so you know, because uh, my internet provider, I'm expecting a call back, but I can't wait. I, we we got to get down to business here. We got to start the show. Definitely. Jake Dahl. Good to see you. Mark Santucci, Spurs Cards. Good to see you. Jeff McMahon. Thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, it might be a little bit tougher for me to attend to the comments because I'm literally, I don't have a mouse here tonight. I just I just don't have a mouse. Jordan Riker. Good to see you, Jordan. Uh, welcome. So, Kevin, why don't you take us through a bit of your your hobby history? I mentioned, you know, that you started as a, as a kid, spending your, your $10 allowance on Topps Gold Label. Peyton Manabeth, take us through how did how did uh, how did the hobby come to uh, come to claim you as one of its own over the past call it thirty years? Yeah, I'm glad it did. Um, so yeah, literally, I've been a collector since I was five. Um, you know, my my uncle collected um, baseball cards. You know, always and he collected comic books as well. So always just to when we got together with them, look at his collection. Always found it really cool and fascinating. Um, and then you know the Friday um, LCS trips, uh, local card shop trips. Um, at a force play in Franklin, Massachusetts. Uh, my, my parents would take me that I would go with my buddy and his dad. Um, and it was, you know, always trying to figure out how to best capitalize on my $10 I could spend um, on Fridays after school at the shop. Um, and I, I vi like you, you tell the top school label store. I vividly remember going in and um, they were at the most expensive packs. They were $7, which I, I think $7 is like a cheap pack now just to, you know, where, where things were back then. But um you know, deciding do I want some singles? Do I want to buy one of those packs? Try to pull a Peyton. Um, I never did, 
But, um, you know, later on in life, now I own all of Peyton Manning's um, rookie cards from that set. I made sure I did because I never pulled one as a kid. But um, and then, you know, just kind of carried on. My, my brother was a collector as well. So, um, you know, he was more he was much more in a basketball. I was more of a football guy. Um, and then, you know, little hiatus in, in toward the end of high school and in college. And then once I got out of college, I really um, I started to uh, the, the local show I attended as a kid in Mansfield, Mass, um, the cardboard promotion show, which I, I still set up at today. That's the denim show I was talking about earlier. It's it's switched venues now. But um, used to go to that show. And um, after college, it was an opportunity to set up there with a friend. I had one showcase and it was all football cards. And, um, you know, set up, started doing that for a couple of years and try to make some money on the side so I could spend more on my singles for my collection. And then, you know, it, it became a situation where at this show, you know, consistently the, 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 the only football cards I was consistently moving at the show were Tom Brady. And it was very difficult for me because I grew up hating Tom Brady. Um, I am a diehard Raiders fan, which you see right here. My favorite player of all time is Peyton Manning. My father's a diehard Colts fan. My mother was a Dolphins fan. So literally, I was raised to dislike this man and that team. Um, so, but then it became a, 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 a business thing, right? Like, all right, I'm consistently moving this guy's cards every show. I, I got to make a decision. So I literally sold all of my football that wasn't PC and turned it all into Brady. And that was right before the Falcon Super Bowl. So when you talk about things I've timed well in my life. Um, that's one of the ones that I timed pretty well because his cards, you know, 10, 15, 20 times after that Super Bowl, and I was able to, to make some big profit on those, which turned into me buying more Tom Brady cards. And then things just kind of spiraled out of control. I, I vividly remember coming across a collection and having a sit down with my wife and the collection was going to cost us probably 85, 90% of our bank account at the time. Um, so it was a pretty big purchase for me. I won't talk the exact number, but um, long story short, she agreed to it. I made that purchase. I made a killing on that, fortunately. And at that point forward, you know, I'm fortunate that she put full trust in me to go do what I wanted to do with this. And that's really when things started to kind of line up into place where, hey, you know, what? I think I can do this full time. Kind of put like a five year plan together to get out of um, education and being a teacher in order to be able to do this. And now here we are and I'm doing it full time. And this is the happiest I've been in a long time, Jeremy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that that's great man it, it's it's just good to hear that you know the hobby is making you happy you've, you found your your place in it uh we have a comment here from sean he says uh you know i'm interested to hear kevin's transition from teaching to cards as a teacher that's five years from a full pension i want full details i think we'll we'll get to we'll get to some of those sean welcome welcome to the show as well tom newman says you've seen them badass kids now i don't blame him <laughs> right right boston fan uh seems to know you from uh, from kevin's shows in dedham very cool very cool welcome to the show boston fan uh and cardboard profit supportive spouse equals underrated part of sports card ventures makes it so much easier yeah kevin and i we talked about that uh, a couple days ago actually and how we're both quite fortunate uh with with that right there cardboard profit good to see you and i think i owe you an email uh right now it was good to meet him at the uh, at the national so your transition from collector to dealer i want to get into the your mindset there kevin like you know i think i think a lot of, of us go through that you know if you start setting up i started setting up a card shows in 2005 simply because i wanted a place to sit i wanted somewhere to put my bag down i wanted a home base at the toronto expo and a buddy of mine had a booth he said hey if you watch my booth while i walk around i'll let you i'll let you have a showcase so he didn't 
that was the first taste I have. I've never looked back. And it's really just to fund my own collecting, it, similar to you. Now, you have gone in. Now, I don't do, I'm not a car dealer full time. Now, you are. Can you take us through your, really, your, your headspace and how you, how you reconcile being a collector with being a dealer? You know, you'll, you always hear, you know, don't get high in your own supply. Maybe don't shop from your own inventory. How do you how do you how do you manage how do you manage that process in your own head to go from a collector who had a, a career outside of the hobby into someone who's like all in now as a dealer? Yeah, so I mean, what you said earlier is what I was doing, right? I was setting up a chose to be able to fund my PC. So any profit I made on those cards, I was then spending on my PC cards, right? So now obviously it's a little different. I can't just go PC shopping twenty four seven because this is now paying the bills, right? So for me, it, it was a very difficult transition. Um, but I think for me, so when I had my first kid, my son, Grayson, who's now six and a half, um, you know, I was, I'm a high school teacher, right? So, you know, there's no secret. I wasn't making a ton of money early in my career. So I had to make a decision. I had to either sell my Peyton Manning collection or my Hall of Fame football collection. And then I chose my Hall of Fame football collection. Um, and that was really difficult to do. I had worked so hard to put that together. But, you know, once I did that, it was almost like it's kind of like a little piece of me died inside, um, but was revived when my son was born, obviously. But I'm like, all right. I've shown the ability I can do it, right? So then you got to make some difficult decisions um, because you know I'm I'm still very much a collector. I love sports cards, um, and that's, I, I pack some cards here with me to show share later um, if the time comes during the show. But um, you know, so I you know and we talked about this the other day, and I've talked about it um, on my lives. The PC purge once a year is is huge. You know, you sit down with your PC, um, you know, you, by yourself alone, pour a couple of Catherine and Diet Cokes. And I say, all right. So, and I had to do, I had to do a bigger one when I when I transitioned to doing this full time because it's like, all right, I can't keep all this stuff long term anymore. I have to sell some of it to pay the bills to help keep the cash flow coming in, so I can buy other cards and buy different collections. Um, so there's been some really really tough decisions. Like you know, this year at the national, this is probably the biggest PC purge I've done. Um, I expected the national to be insane, and it, and it was. Um, you know, hearing the show is thirty percent bigger. And, you know, hearing the foot traffic, the, the, the tickets pre-sold, how the, the VIP tickets sold out three months before the show. Um, they expected 50,000 people to walk through the door on Saturday. I'm like, all right, you know what? I got to sit down and bring out some bigger guns um, because, you know, the market's in a place right now where it seems like people are a lot more comfortable spending money on these bigger cards um, because it's a it's a different price point. And it seems like it's safer to get in right now. So the PC purge I did this year, I feel like will be my last one for a while because I really went through and took out some stuff that I never really thought I would move. But it just, you know, I, I give my buddy Jordan um, Northwood Collector a lot of credit. And I shout him out every time I talk about this because he's a guy who he literally ranks his PC cards. So he has a list one through 50 of his Peyton Manning cards. So when it comes time to um, get an upgrade, he knows what he can move. And I think that's really smart. So I did. I didn't do a full ranking. I didn't have time. Um, I probably will sometime when things get a little slower, maybe in the fall or the winter. But, um, you know, I went through and said, hey, you know, what cards are do I, I call them coffin cards? What cards do I want to bury with me that aren't going anywhere? Um, and what cards do I think I can part with? Um, and it's it's not easy. When, I, when you've been a collector your entire life, and now the last two years you're transitioning to a dealer, it's not easy, right? But at the same time, um, you got to look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, this is going to be used to pay the bills. And, you know, I, I will say this. I mean, this where we are right now is a lot of quick flip mindset, like I'm going to buy this for X amount and flip it a month later. Um, you know, my biggest gains on cards are stuff I've sat on for two, three, five, ten years. Um, so it, it's it's just something to be said about, you know, making some long term plays can pay off. I'm fortunate that my 
Tom Brady and Peyton Manning ones have and will pay off when it comes time to move these cards. Um, but I'll tell you, man, it has not been easy by any means. But um, the PC purge is is something that I think everybody, whether you're a dealer or a collector, is something you should do. And it, it, the National is always good timing because that's the show that you want to bring the most cash to. You want to have the most funds. You want to have the most ammo in terms of trading. Um, so it's something good to do once or twice a year just to look at things and say, hey, you know, what can I what can I move? What can I not live without? What can I, do I have to keep with me? My favorite cards. Um, and I find myself doing it now. Um, never really did it like this as a collector. So it's just a different mindset now from a dealer standpoint. Yeah. You know, when you said before that, uh, you know, you needed to do it in a bigger way. I wasn't sure if you meant pour the the captain and Coke or a bigger PC purge. Uh, maybe it was both when you it went. Was to- both. It was both. It this was time, both. Definitely. Yes. For sure. Yes. For sure. So let's talk about the PC purge for a second. I find that to be extremely interesting and it resonates with me too, Kevin. Uh, it's one of the things when I was watching your pre-national Instagram lives and you started talking about that. And I thought, oh, I, I, I know this guy. This guy's always, we have a lot in common when it comes to the hobby and how we approach it because, you know, I go to the Toronto Expo twice a year, the national once a year, and I always do that same, I go through that same process. You know, what am I, what have I fallen out of love with? What don't I feel like I need anymore in my personal collection? It's always tough, but you know, you, you go through it and, and it's almost cleansing to know that, you know, you don't need to love every card you've ever bought until the end of time in your PC. I, I think you have to, we as collectors need to allow ourselves to have some fluidity to our personal collection. And it seems like you've gotten there, I've gotten there. And I, I, I'm just taking this time to talk about this because I, I think it's important for, you know, everyone listening and everyone's going to, you all have your own approach. We all have our own approach, but consider consider that you know that every so often you can go through your collection and decide you know i don't love this card anymore maybe i'm gonna let it go and now you have funds that free up and you can put into into something else is the pc purge? i mean you talk about it a lot is it something that you know other people are doing is it is it something like is it just you and me kevin or are a lot of people doing this no a lot of people doing it definitely so i'm, I'm in multiple um group chats on instagram um, where I've made some great friends. And, and you, you talked about seeing friends. Uh, you talked, Somebody was in the chat. You mentioned it was nice to see you at the National. One of my favorite parts of the show is just seeing people that I talk to all the time. You get to see them once a year or some people that I met for the first time this year. It's great. But I know for a fact, talking to my Brady and Peyton Manning friends, that um, I would say 90% of them did something similar. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it depends on your bankroll too, right? I mean, some people are in a much better space where they can keep all their stuff and just keep buying. That's great. and It's awesome. I, I wish I could do that, right? I think we all do. Right. But I think that, you know, 98 percent of people in the hobby can't do that. So you got to make the difficult decisions. Uh, but I will say this. I mean, this stuff I brought, I didn't move. And I'm welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm hugging again. I'm welcoming back to the uh, the Randall household. So the stuff I only pull out once a year for the national. So I'm OK. I you know, we had our chat. I didn't mean to offend you by putting you out in the showcase. But, you know, you're back now and, and you're back in the collection. Will it go out in Anaheim or anything like that? We don't know. But this stuff that listen, I, I you know, I could I could think of five cards offhand that I put out in the showcase, but I didn't care if I moved. Um, So if it happened, it happened. And I I wouldn't have been upset about it, but it didn't happen. So um, it's meant to sit in the safe or um, under my pillow for the next year or until the national. Now, did you have those cards priced? Did they have price tags on? Yeah, that you did. So you you put price tags on them, but those are cards that if, you know, let me ask you this, your pricing strategy on these PC cards you really love, were they priced at comps recent comps were they priced about were those the not for sale prices or were they for sale prices and and if someone said to you okay you're asking a thousand bucks what will you take would your answer have been a thousand bucks so i'm a huge believer in pricing everything in your showcase no matter what 
Um, I'm also a huge believer in never putting an NFS sticker on anything in your showcase because if it's not for sale, it shouldn't be out, right? It's always because, you know, the whole NFS thing you showcase, people just want to have an absurd number thrown at them that they can't refuse, which I, I understand that. But at the same time, it's like I, I price all my stuff. So, I mean, prime example, um, I'll actually show you. Where is it? So um, I brought this to the National this year. So this is a Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady Prism um, Black Finite one of one. Um, and it is the, it's out of 2016, it's the Razzle. So these were case hits that year. Um, and I've had this card for a long time. And, you know, every year before the national, I get DMs from about 10 different people asking about certain cards. It happens every year. And this is one of them. And it was one of those things. I, I, I'll, it's no secret. I put a sticker of 20 grand on it. And I don't know what I would have accepted, but the sticker's there. So if you want to talk, we can talk and get serious and, and, and bigger stuff. I'm always willing to take trade on. I had a bunch of DMs on this card. Um, but it didn't go anywhere. And I probably had two serious conversations at the show with people about it. Um, and no real serious offers were made, but I, it's that one. I don't know what I would take. Um, I really don't, but it, there's, there's certain cards that I always get asked about before the national, um, if I'm bringing and you know, that was one of them actually brought. And then these two right here, um, these are prism gold mojos stained glass of Tom Brady. I would say these are the cards number. These two cards right here are the ones I get asked about the most every national before I go. And these ones did not come. These are PC cards. These ones didn't go anywhere. Um, these things, and I know it's obviously tough to see, you know, through the camera. It doesn't do the cards justice, but these things are works of art. Um, I just like looking at them right now while I'm talking to you. Um, the shine on them. This is the only year, these two years, 2017 and 2018, the only years that stained glass had gold mojo cards. And uh, yeah, there's um, my buddy, Steve Pock, uh, diamond card collector. I just saw a comment pop up and um, Steve, you asked about him, buddy, right? We had, we had conversations about him and you weren't the only one, probably 10 different people from our Brady chat asked and, you know, you get asked about stuff and, you know, some people will look at it like, all right, I'm getting asked about these high end cards. Maybe it's time to move them. I'm kind of a guy that like, the more I get asked about something, the more I want to keep it because I know, <laughs> I know like, I have something cool and it's, I'm like the, the, the kid in like fourth grade at recess. Who's got the, the great lunch that everybody's trying to trade for and uh, you don't want to trade it. Right. But um, you know, a time will come where those move. It's just not right now. And those are the difficult decisions you got to make. So as I'm doing the PC purge, I'm getting messages about cards on my PC and it makes it difficult. Um, but you know, regardless, there's some stuff I bring that I'm, I'm perfectly fine not moving. If it happens, it happens. And you know, like I said, I, I, I apologize to the, the, Prism, Black Finite, Razzle. I think we're okay. Um, but I did make it clear that, listen, the time may come where you you aren't in the household anymore. And, you know, if that happens, it happens, you know. <laughs> it's like you talk, we talk to our cards as if they have feelings because we, we love right? them so much. We think that they, that they might. All right. We're going to go to some comments. Uh, Leighton Sheldon has joined us. He's in the green room. We're going to bring him up for a moment. Just a reminder to everybody, uh, if you just joined, I am having internet issues. I'm doing this from my phone. You're gonna see my finger as I'm producing the show on the fly. I apologize for that, but I wanna welcome DT Sports Cards, a forever listener, first time live. Tell Kevin <laughs> Mahomes is the GOAT. Uh, DT, love when we have first time live viewers join. Thank you for joining and for your, your loyal uh, viewership for sure. Glad to have you here. JQM says, ask him if he still has any star basketball left. Kevin, are you? Do you, I think that's for you. Do you have any star basketball left? So I have star basketball slabs. Um, I had, I went with one of the cooler things I brought to the show. I thought was I brought a two row box of sealed star basketball bags. Um, I picked up a collection of a gentleman who um, had these for, it was so funny. Going over, I, I made a home visit, um, you know, stuff I'm able to do now that I can do this full time. Right. 
Um, and he had, he took immaculate care of this stuff. These bags were in great condition. So I, I sold probably 85% of the show. So I do still have some left. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. Um, and I can send you the picture of the stuff I have left. I'm looking to move that quick. Um, the rest of that stuff, just because it doesn't really fit with what I have for inventory right now. But that was one of the cool things I brought. You got, I had like Charles Barkley's um, XRC bag, uh, Patrick Ewan's rookie bag, uh, Isaiah Thomas's, none of the Jordan stuff. I bought the Jordan stuff off him previously about uh, six months back and I graded all the Jordan stuff, but it was just pretty cool to have that stuff. And it, it definitely was um, something that jumped out of people in the showcase. You look at all these slabs, all of a sudden you see these steel, these sealed bags. So even if people didn't know what star basketball was, they were asking questions about it, which is cool. It always facilitates conversations and people learn new stuff about um, basketball and star and things like that. So I do still have some left. Shoot me a DM. I can uh, let you know what I have left in the inventory. Kevin, did you come prepared with a question for Leighton Sheldon? I did. All I right, let's, uh, I'm a teacher. Let's, I, I, got, I got multiple. All right. Let's bring Leighton on. And again, I'm running this from my phone. Leighton, uh, good to see you. It's been only a few days, but I uh, saw you quite a bit at the National. Welcome back to the show for your weekly Vintage Spotlight segment. We've got Kevin DeCaptain. Leighton, how are you doing tonight? Oh, great. Thanks for having me on. What's up, Kevin? How are you? Hey, Leighton. How you doing, man? Oh, good. Thank you. All right. Well, Kevin, what, you know what? I mean, I always have questions for Leighton. Uh, I guess the first question, I'm going to just say, Leighton, I loved your showcases at the National. You're, you had you had your uh, Jackie Robinson 48 Leaf. It was the last card you priced because it was such a nice copy for the grade and a PSA 6 holder. Uh, I want to know, did you did do you still have that card? I do. You do. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's a beauty. It's a beauty. Um, Kevin, let's go over to you. What sort of question did you come with tonight to, to ask Leighton? So I have multiple. So Leighton, I just, full disclosure, I just got into vintage baseball over the last year. Um, you know, as I went into this full time, I knew I had to expand. I came across a smaller vintage collection I purchased, did well with it. And I just became very intrigued by it. Um, it's just history, right? You're holding cards that are 50, 60, 70, 80, sometimes 100 years old. It, it just, um, for a guy who's strictly modern, it, it kind of really, uh, I just found it very intriguing. So my question to you is, what is your favorite vintage baseball set and why? Because I have mine, but I want to hear yours from a, from a vintage guru. Sure. So, you know, I don't want to limit it to baseball. And the reason being, you'll understand my answer. Uh, it's the 33 Gaudi Sport King set. And the reason being is because it does include some baseball, but that set includes some of the best athletes of the era. And then, you know, you got like dog sledders in there. Uh, and jockeys and all sorts of like really interesting, um, you know, athletes of the time period. And the art on the cards is amazing. It's a limited set, even though there's still a high number of series. And so I just like a lot of the intricacies, uh, you know, about it. And of course, it's got Ruth, it's got Cobb, it's got Red Grange. I mean, you know, Nat Holman, it's, it's really a wonderful set. So I would pick that. So you talk about the, the art in the car. Like I, I'm a big, my, my favorite set is 56 Tops Baseball. So I really like that set. I like I like the action shot in the side of the car that just jumped out. I'm a big aesthetics guy. Just like how the cards look. Um, so one of the first vintage baseball cards I got was a mantle 56 tops grayback um, SGC six, and uh, it was tough to move that one because it was my favorite card. I got it, but once again, I mean this is it's paying the bills now. I got to do it right. So what what made you choose vintage? Like what made you? That's your that's your thing. You're an expert there. What what made you go vintage over modern? Uh, well, I would say a lot of heartache. Uh, you know, so uh, joking aside, uh, Kev, I grew up, you know, loving baseball and, you know, didn't realize that some of these greats were within reach. So as a kid, you know, my dad wasn't collecting. So if I went to a convention, 
I remember being 12 or 15 and like you would walk up to someone's booth with older stuff. And it was like, if you weren't with your dad or with an older brother or an uncle, they basically looked to you like, why are you at my booth? Um, and I didn't get, edu- I didn't get education. You know, I'd ask about like a mantle car, like, Oh, that's super cool. They're like, yeah, kid, I'm sure it is, you know, like scram. Um, and so, you know, I, like many of my constituents, my peers, I bought as the packs came out. So, you know, 89 upper deck, uh, and you know, obviously I don't need to take everyone through the history. Um, and what I found as I grew, let's say into my twenties, you know, dealing with cards, I didn't have anything to show for my money. And remember there was no one of ones, so it's completely different. And I'm not saying modern is good or bad today, but it's just different. So, um, as I started to appreciate the game, not just baseball, but all the sports and the history of it. And the fact that I could hold these little artifacts in my hands. I mean, candidly, I was hooked. And once I had the financial means, forget about, you know, to just dabble in it and collect. But as you're talking about retiring from teaching, once I realized that, you know, take a shot, maybe make a living from this, uh, I took it that much more seriously. And for me, there was just such joy in learning about the nuances, the different sets, the players, you know, you're a teacher, right? I didn't do that great, you know, in certain subjects, but the subject that I did great in was math because I love numbers. Uh, you know, I enjoyed uh, how it related to baseball cards and baseball. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I was just happy that eventually I found my way to it. But believe me, it was not early, or at least uh, I wish it was earlier. Gotcha. Great story. So um, my last question to you is, um, so, you know, just like modern stuff, vintage baseball, you get into, you know, certain sets and the right guys that can get very, very overwhelmingly expensive. So for somebody like so if you were talking to me last year and I said, hey, Leighton, I want to get into vintage. What's a good starting point? Like, What should I be looking for? Is it is it sets I should pay more attention to? Is it certain players like what would be somebody who doesn't have a huge bankroll? Like what's a good entry level or entry point to get into vintage? Sure. So I think that uh, let's just say baseball is your favorite sport. Um, it doesn't have to be, but let's just say that's what we're talking about here. But now I just talk about the most influential players. Because when you're talking about being on a budget, right, for the listeners that are watching Jeremy's show both now and on the, on the replay, we want people to understand that, you know, we're throwing around the term set very loosely. But let's be honest, you know, you're not buying any vintage sets very cheap. So if you have a limited bankroll by nature, I think you have to kind of factor out sets. And then you got to figure out from there, if it's baseball, you know, do you want to go roof? Do you want to go Jackie? Do you want to maybe get a Mickey Mantle card? Maybe your dad, you know, you grew up with him and, and Mickey was your dad's guy. Uh, so I think all those choices are really good. As far as basketball goes, you know, a lot of people point right to MJ. Hard to argue there. Uh, you know, hockey. I mean, to me, it's like Bobby Orr, um, Gordy Halloween, Gretzky. Once again, no particular order. Uh, and in football, it's interesting because we have this mural in our office and we're thinking about putting up, um, you know, someone from football. And to me, it's far and away Jim Brown. And I'm not saying Jim Brown was better than Walter Payton or Jim Brown was better than Barry Sanders, but Jim Brown was amazing and set the pace for everyone else who followed. So, you know, as far as football, even though I'm from the Northeast, a lot of people think Joe Namath's overrated, so I wouldn't go out and buy a Joe Namath card. But all in all, this is my long-winded way of saying, I don't think I would go after sets. I would go after that iconic player or two in the respective sport that I love the most. And then I would just, as you said, if I have 500 bucks, if I have 50, if I have a thousand, five thousand, whatever the number is, I would try to buy one and or two cards of those one or two goats 
in that respective sport. And then if I decided I had money later on, I would simply upgrade. I would try to get a better example in a higher, you know, higher grade. You know, one, that's, what, uh, yeah, one of the one of the things about that is that, you know, a lot of people are going to right away think, well, he's taught, you know, I can't afford the, these the rookie cards of these guys. You know, I don't know that you have to go for rookie cards. Obviously, I think that's a lot of people's first choice. But there are there are some beautiful second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth year vintage cards of those players. You know, we're, we're not yet in the 90s with those players you mentioned. So, you know, to back, I just want to take what Leighton says and put it back to you, Kevin. Like, how would you approach it or how would you counsel one of your clients or customers? Would you say, you know, you got to go rookies? It's got to be a Jackie rookie. Now, if you're on a budget, it's going to be a, a low, maybe it's a night one or a night two. Or would you say, you know what? You don't have to go rookie card. There are other beautiful cards of these players. How would you approach that? What do you think is, what, 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 what kind of advice would you be giving your customers? And I, I'm curious what you would say to that Leighton too, but start with you, Kevin. Yeah, so it, it's 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 such a different conversation with modern versus vintage, right? So if this is a modern question, I'd say rookie cards. Like I, I, you know, go get Patrick Mahomes rookies. Go get you like Trevor Lawrence get rookie cards. Like I don't want any th second year stuff. Like, but with vintage, it's I, I think, you know, and I was kind of in the same mindset as, as Leighton, but I wanted to hear it from somebody who was an expert. Um, but it, it's players, right? And I, I would tell people, you know, pick a couple of sets that you like. So I guess I'm kind of set. Pick a couple of sets that you like and try to get the highest grade of the of the player that you can afford. Um, so for me, the 56 top set jumped out to me when I started doing research on the vintage stuff. So I wanted to go get a 56 tops mantle. So I went and grabbed, um, you know, that that little collection. It was a six. It was it was an expensive card, but it was in my budget at the time. So I would just say, you know, pick your guys and and people. You know, I, I look at what I've done with vintage over the last year. The, the Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle, they're my two best movers by far. I can't keep Jackie cards in the showcase. She's just obviously so popular for historical reasons. Um, so like, you know, pick guys. I I try to steer people away from the obscure guys, even when it comes to you know, or or when we talk modern from obscure sets like stick to the stuff that you know people know that that's going to be liquid um and, and pick those guys that you know like Leighton said Leighton listed a bunch of great names um all names I knew by the way which means I'm coming a long way when it comes to vintage so I was proud of myself to know all those names um uh, but yeah it'd be more of a, a player and, and and get the the highest grade you can afford of, of the guy that you want to collect that that's where I would go it wouldn't have to be rookie how about you, Leighton? Uh, and I appreciate that, Kevin. I, and I think you're right. The first thing you said there was there's a big difference between modern and vintage. And I agree. Those, you know, uh, outside of some really cool inserts and parallels, you're not just buying second year, third year base cards of today's players. It's rookie cards or it's nice inserts, auto patches, all the bells and bells and whistles cards. But from a vintage perspective, Leighton, like what about you? How would you be counseling some of your customers and clients would it be rookies only, or would you say, you know what, maybe you, maybe you know, a, a forty-eight leaf Jackie in any grade is not for you. Maybe maybe it's just too much money. So here's a nice alternative. You know, other non-rookie cards. Is that something that you would that you would advise? Uh, I'm going to throw a wrinkle in this, just because you threw out a forty-eight leaf Jackie. So a forty-eight leaf Jackie, let's just say in a one, depending on eye appeal, let's just say it's not you know mint with the with back damage, right? It's just a regular run-of-the-mill low grade one, you know, let's just say it's five to $7,000. Okay. So I would say more than ever seeing the way the market is moving as far as appreciating history, uh, whether it be game use autographs. So before I would tell someone to go out and if they only had, once again, between five and $7,000 and they said to me, they wanted to buy a 40 elite Jackie and a one, I would say, that's great. I'm also interested because I was just bidding at Leon's auction earlier. 
um, this evening, and they had a wonderful selection of Jackie Robinson autographs. For five to seven thousand dollars, you could get a really important Jackie Robinson autographed item. And I would say that as much as I love, and this is coming from a you know a card uh, aficionado and someone who appreciates all walks of vintage, you know there's a lot of forty-eight leaf Jackies out there. There's not as many late forties Jackie signatures out there. And so I placed some bids in Leland's. And when I sign off, Jeremy, I'll check to see if anything holds up tonight. Um, but I would say it depends on your budget, the player that you're attracted to, right? The era that you're attracted to. Um, but in general, right, I still vote for buying the highest grade. But I do think if you're in love with a particular card and you can only buy, albeit a one, you might be better served to deploy that money somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Appreciate it. Um, anything else, Leighton, that, uh, that you'd like to mention tonight? Uh, before, I did. Before I don't you... want to ruffle any feathers, but this is all in good fun. I caught Kev for a few minutes before I signed on, and he was talking about being a teacher, being prepared for the national. So there's one thing I vehemently agree with, and there's one thing I maybe didn't agree with, and I wanted to kind of bring up both if we had, you know, a minute. Please. Uh, so the first thing is, Kev, you know, years ago especially, I never considered myself to be a good retail show dealer, whatever that means, you know, meaning exhibiting, setting up and selling. I love exhibiting. I love chatting with Jeremy and folks like him. I like chatting with my friend Darren and other collectors like him that are eccentric. Uh, and I do like to do business, but I absolutely like buying much more than I like selling. And it was very apparent when he came to my booth. And so in recent years, whether it be from someone like you, Kev, who obviously we just met tonight, but like a really good buddy of mine named Joe Pank, uh, you know, he's a really great show dealer. He's always very well prepared with the stuff uh, priced out. And I could see the dividends that was paying for him. And so I just wanted to say I fully support, you know, going to the convention, whether it be the national or locally, because if you have everything priced out um, or most everything priced out in your booth, you're just going to be able to do commerce more easily. However, where I disagree at least a little bit, uh, and it's funny because I tuned in just as you started talking about this, was the whole NFS. And for those that are watching that don't know what that is, not for sale. So let me tell you at least this, and even though I know I'm a dealer and I do this professionally, uh, Kev, I'm also a collector at heart. And I just wanted you to hear this 30-second synopsis of this one card I put out, not just at the National this year, but I put out the last couple Nationals, and kind of what happened from it. So Drake is someone I you know, came across and met on Jeremy's show uh, he's got an extraordinary collection, um, and Drake actually came to my booth a couple of years ago at the National, and he saw that I had a Hulk Hogan uh, PMG PSA 10, and I didn't have any price on it, but I believe I had an NFS on it. And so fast forward, um, Drake and I have become pretty friendly through the last, you know, call it year or so. Well, he purposely brought his BGS 9.5 to the show, and even though he wants to buy my PSA 10, he was not only not offended by the fact that it had an NFS on it, but he also asked, hey, Lee, you know, like, I know this sounds kind of corny, but can we take a picture? I'm like, sure. He's like, no, can I take a picture, like, with you with the cards? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what better place to do that than the National? So I do hear what you were saying right before I tuned um, in live, meaning before Jeremy brought me on, as to why, like, some people get turned off by it. But I, to, to me... I look at the convention of the national and other big conventions like that as it's an experience. And who are we to decide what collectors are allowed to put out in their case? And I wasn't fishing. Like I'm not trying to, you know, reel someone in to bring an offer. Hey, if they want to, 
as you said, Kev, I'm not going to stop anyone. But it's really a conversation piece. And candidly, just the way that card shines, that purple, especially in a vintage case, it literally is a showstopper. So that was just one, you know, regular collector's two cents about the NFS. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion. But to me, I put some of those types of items out, whether it be photos or one-of-a-kind modern cards I have, because I'm really not interested in selling them. But I love talking cards. I'm a card nerd. And I love hearing people's feedback. And, of course, believe me, if I ever sell the Hogan, Drake has sworn me. I, I have to give him first chance. Um, and the joking aside, that was just, you know, what I wanted to share about it. Because I don't always think, Kevin, it's coming from a place of trying to get someone hooked or, like, get a super-duper price for a card. It's really just coming from a place of hobby love and, and wanting to, you know, basically say, hey, this is a really cool card I have. Maybe you have a really cool card that you'd like to show me in response or have a discussion about it. Well, that's so, Oh, sorry. I, no, I appreciate it. And I, I, I was just going to say that, like, before you respond, Kevin, that one thing that I like about these conversations is that it does give us the opportunity to, to consider something that we maybe haven't had considered before. So with, with that, with that, uh, with me laying that out there for you, Kevin, I'm really curious as to your response. As I'm sure Yeah, so you said, Leighton, that you're not fishing. So I would say, from my experience as a walker at the National of 10 people who have an NFS card in their showcase, you're probably the only one who's not fishing. And I respect that because I can tell that you're a collector, right? Um, and also that Drake guy, I don't know how you deal with him, man. He's, he's tough. I'm kidding. <laughs> Me and Drake are boys. He's where he's a big Peyton Manning guy, obviously, as I'm sure you know. Uh, we've, we've you know, formed a very good friendship um, through cards, through Instagram. So it's always great seeing Drake every year. But um, I get that. I also, for, for me, looking at it from a dealer perspective, um, I just say when I have something in my showcase that's marked not for sale, it's taking up a spot of something I could sell. So I'm, I'm more, I guess that's the salesman part in me. And, and listen, you're right. You're definitely right. I just want you to understand that there's always something beneath the surface. And it's not for you, me, or anyone else to judge. I just say appreciate it. And if you don't appreciate it, which it sounds like you may not and others may not, I just say to me, no harm, no foul. Like walk by, you know, if that card makes you drool, maybe you'll see another example through the show and like work that much harder to get it. But I don't think it's always, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm flattered to hear I might be the only one out of 10. I don't think that's the case. I know plenty of guys have been doing this as long as me, if not longer. And, you know, they're putting it out there because, listen, they, they want to show off. They're not going to sell it. We're not going to sell it for any sort of reasonable offer. And I'm, I'm just telling you from one collector to another, I actually prefer to see those because that's the real juicy stuff. You don't know what stories behind it. You don't know how they acquired it. You don't know what else they're working on. And maybe they're going to share with you a nugget about something that you're going to learn because of this whole NFS discussion. And I just know for me, I've had wonderful experiences from it. And I just personally don't get frustrated because I have the discipline to understand. I don't press and I don't try to you know, make an offer. I just say, hey, can I check it out? It seems really cool. Maybe I'll take a photo. Maybe I'll put it on Instagram. You know, I'll always ask, but that's you know, my two cents on it. Yeah, that's okay. interesting here, a different perspective, definitely. Yeah, and, and fair, fair comments all around. Uh, this person says you need eye candy to get clusters to the table to start the conversation. Brian P says they are fishing. Tom Newman puts out fish hooks. Uh, Brian P as well. I mean, listen, I've, I've set up, I, I once had one whole showcase that was simply what I felt were museum worthy cards and they weren't for sale. I just put them out to to show them because they had, they were all one-on-ones and they looked very beautiful. And and they, I still own every one of those cards. It's probably 10 years ago. And three or four people because of that are now collecting similar cards. So I think it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it can be both ways. 
to say everyone is fishing is just not true. It's just it's just not. Uh, but but that people you know people who 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 may say that are projecting how it would be if they were doing it. But not everybody has walked in everybody's shoes. So I think it's a, I think it's a little bit different there. Um, it can be different. It can be different. Uh, Corey Carr, yeah, I am. I have no internet tonight, so I am using my data to do this show, and that's why everything is a little bit different, and the show won't be uh, as smooth as others. But uh, okay, Leighton, listen, thanks for the conversation, and uh, it's interesting to 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 go through and consider these different uh, these different approaches to card shows, and and really having having the cards out. So. Um, thanks for joining, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Absolutely. I'm going to leave you with a question. I'm going to sign off so I can listen, Kev. If you're talking to someone like me who, you know, maybe has a little bit of means to buy a nice modern card but doesn't have the experience or the knowledge, um, let us know what you would recommend to someone who is going to spend up to $5,000 on a serious modern card these days. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Leighton. All right, Kev. Well, why don't we uh, pick it up right there? Why don't you tackle that question? We've got a whole bunch of comments that I want to get to. So um, definitely, it's funny because I, I pose the same question when I just first got into vintage, right? Like if I have X amount, where am I going? So I mean, you know, what I tell people is, and I, and I have plenty of friends who, you know, I mean, who who didn't get involved? If you like sports and a little bit of gambling, who didn't get intrigued by the hobby during COVID? Right? We're all sitting at home, nothing, nothing to do. Right? I had so many text messages, phone calls of people. Um, you know, I want to get in. What should I do? And I and I talk about this all the time. I always steer people away from the young, unproven quarterbacks and, and young, unproven prospects. Like so, for me, for example, um, I have Patrick Mahomes stuff. I, I I love Patrick Mahomes despite being a Raiders fan. It's very difficult watching him. You know, throw five touchdown passes per game and and do um, dances and circles and huddles against the Raiders every year and watch him tear him up. Right. But for me, I didn't get into Patrick Mahomes stuff until he won a Super Bowl. So for me, I'm more of a blue chip guy. So I would always steer people toward, hey, you know, I want to get into a, a modern uh, but a, a proven commodity. So, you know, I wouldn't steer you toward a guy like, um, I don't know, Desmond Ritter or Sam Howell, who were very big at the National for reasons I still don't understand. And many people influences pushing names like that. Um, I want a guy who's proven. I want a guy who is in a good situation. That's huge to me. So you know, somebody might push back right here and say, well, Kev, you were telling people that you like Trevor Lawrence. He hasn't won anything yet. Right. I get that. But I like guys who are in good situations with surrounded with talent and good coaching staffs. Um, so for me, it's, I, I do want something proven. That's where I want to put my money. So, you know, late mentioned I have $5,000. What should I put it into? I would suggest Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, there's some people who say, well, he can be kind of risky because his prices are so high already, but he's a guy that clearly has shown that, you know, Dave mentioned earlier in the chat, my buddy Dave Demesh, um, that, you know, tell Kevin Mahomes is the GOAT. I'm never going to get there, right? Tom Brady is the GOAT. I, I see nothing changing that. But he's a guy that what he's done so far in his career, he's had one of the greatest starts to any career that any player's ever had in the NFL. So I like proven guys. I just think it's safer. Um, you're not going to get that quick flip like you would if you get into a Desmond Ritter and he um, wins week one, 37 and nothing and throws, you know, four touchdown passes. But at the same time, I, I think you're – you don't have to live and die on every pass Patrick Mahomes throws because you know that, you know, listen, he's been to four straight AFC championships. He's won two Super Bowls. Um, the only one he, he lost to Tom Brady, which some you can't really hold that against him. It's the GOAT, right? So I always steer people toward proven commodities versus um, the high-risk, um, high-reward buys, if that makes sense. It does, and I think that's good advice, and that's 
probably the way I would go. If I was, I would then, you know, I would ask the question, are you looking for an active player or a retired player? And then obviously you're going to try and steer the person into a player that they like. And, and then I think where guys like you, me, Leighton can help is, okay, we know what era you like. We know what player you might like. Now we can help you folks on, on the card because we have that experience. So, okay, let's, uh, let's go to some comments that we've had over the past little while. Mark right. Santucci here says, Kevin, any cards that you sold because you had to that you now miss? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, so I look back to um, my Hall of Fame collection that I sold that I talked about when I had my first kid. I think that every person goes into a little financial panic mode when they have their first kid, um, you know, and, and I did, right? Um, so, you know, I had some really rare um, cut autos. I'll never forget one of the, the two toughest cut autos. That I wanted to put in my Hall of Fame collection. I want, so short, long story short, NFL Network put out a show. It was the top 100 greatest players of all time. This was probably, man, 10 years ago now. Um, just for perspective, Peyton Manning was eight in that list, and Tom Brady was like 18 to 20. So obviously that would change now. That's how long ago that show was, right? Um, but I was like, I, I was, in, I was love the show. Um, I'll never forget. Um, we had a, a, a little man day during um, vacation for school, and me and a bunch of teachers got together, and we binge watched the whole show the whole day. It was awesome. And I'm like, you know what? I want to put a collection together of this. And some of the guys in the list were really old. They didn't have a ton of cards. So I remember um, Ernie Nevers was a super tough cut auto for me to get. Found one. Then there was um, um, Nagurski was super tough to get as well. And then Emblem Tunnel, I think, was one of the tougher ones to get to. And um, finding those, it was so fulfilling. You know, you, you know how it is. If you're set building or doing a mini collection, the chase is so fun. And when you finally find it, it's just it's it's awesome. And then selling those cards. It, it was tough. It was super. I, I had a Reggie White three color patch auto, which is super tough to find. Reggie White multi color patch autos, just stuff I was really proud of. But it just it, you know life before cardboard, right? So yeah, um, that stuff I I definitely really really miss um, in my collection for sure. All right, Wabash says, uh, can you ask Kevin where he's going to build his castle after he sells all of his Brady cards? So. Um, Wabash Valley cards. Those are my boys, uh, Jordan and Aiden. We, uh, we go way back. Um, so first of all, I always appreciate the support from those guys. Um, shout out to them. They, we did a deal. We did, we always do a deal at the national every year. Um, and they brought a box of Pokemon cards to my son, uh, to give to him and open. So I thought that was really cool. Those guys. So I want to give them a shout out there, but, um, yeah, uh, I, we, we bought our dream house and, and Tom Brady had a big part in that. So to say I'm in debt to that guy would be an understatement. So he actually pays, I'll actually show you um, real quick right here. So this is Tom Brady's 2014 flawless four-color patch auto on-card game used. Um, so I had three of these. I had um, another BGS 9510 with this as a 10 auto one on the back. And I had um, a raw one at the time, which would end up being a BGS 910. So I moved um, my other gem to fund my man cave. And it paid for everything in my man cave. So, I mean, you know, once again, that's where cardboard um, – really helped out with life. And uh, it's cool that I'm able to do that. And it's cool that I, I know I've had friends that have capitalized in the same manner. So um, you talk about cards I miss. I, I really liked having three of these. I really did. Yeah. But it, it gets to a point where all right, I'm keeping the best one. This one's staying long term. Um, but the other two were used to, you know, help us buy our dream home. So, um, you know, thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks, Tom. Glad to see you. Uh, the Merchant of Cool says, Kevin, can you share an example of what card or cards might make it into the coffin with you? 
I'm loving this, right? I'm so prepared, Jeremy. I'm loving this. I'm so happy you told me to bring cards. So um, I'm a I'm a big game used patch guy, and I'm a big shiny card guy. So um, a lot of my coffin stuff, coffin cards, kind of revolve around that. So first off, um, I have some Peyton Manning 101 game used NFL shields. So I'm a big proponent of these cards. I love these cards. You look at how well NBA logo men do um, consistently. And um, there's so many le- – you just think about the games, right? There's 82 games in an NF- in a NBA season. There's 16, now 17 games in an NFL season. So just by numbers alone, there's so many less NFL shields than there are logo men, right? So – and then this one right here is mm. my favorite Peyton Manning shield. Um, story with this one, I'll never forget this. I was in high school bidding on this, and I won it for like $400. And – that was like probably $200 over my budget at the time. Had that talk to mom and dad and take a little loan out um, <laughs> and get some serious chores done. But I'll never forget this this guy on eBay. He auctioned this and a Brady of the same card the same night. And I once again, I hated Brady at the time, but I'm like, man, that would be so nice to get that pair. But my parents would freaking kill me, right? So I went with Peyton. Retrospect, I wish I went with Brady, but, you know, this, this is my favorite player of all time, right? Um, and then, you know, Couple, uh, couple Brady's right here too. So, um, back to the flawless story. The fact I had three of these, so I used one of them to trade for, um, for these. I, I didn't own a Brady shield, and I wanted one. He only has thirty-six confirmed game-used one-on-one shields out there. Um, so this one right here, I actually um, brought to the national, and this one is available. So, and I've had some talks with people about this one. This one right here, the full equipment shield, this one is probably going in the coffin. I just, I love this card. I love, you know, once again, I like my other Peyton shields, but having the two full equipment shields right there, one-on-one game used, um, that's just the type of stuff that I love. And I'll show off um, one more, actually two more. This is Peyton Manning's 24 karat. 24 karat. And you know, right, because you, you, you know, the, the, these are huge in the basketball world as well. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. just had, I don't know if you saw this sale, Jeremy, a PSA 10, 24 carat of Griffey sold the other night. I think it was like 50 or 60 grand. It was insane. Like last night. Yeah, last right. Night. And the yeah. crazy part was that, that the gold wasn't even the title. So I'm like, oh my God, is that going to mess with the view? I'm like, clearly it didn't mess with the people. People knew the card was up and they wanted it, right? But this card, um, and this is another one that I talk about cards I get asked about all the time every year before the national. This is one of them. So this is my baby. This is my favorite Peyton Manning card that I own. Um, along with this super fractor right here. This is a one-on-one super fractor out of finest um, created BGS 95 true gem plus. So those are some of my coffin cards. All right. I'm going to, we've got lots of questions to get to lots of comments, but I, I, uh, I had a question that came to me uh, in a, in a chat group that I'm in today and I'm, I don't have access to it right now because I'm, I'm out of my element here. We are, I, all I have is my phone. I don't have any extra monitors or I can't, I can't even refer to my phone to look at the question or read it to you uh, because we're on it right now. But it basically was, you know, Michael Jordan is clearly the, the, the biggest player in our hobby. I think that that's undisputed. Do you feel like, and I mean, you're a big Brady guy. I know that from talking to you. Although you're not his biggest fan, you're a big Brady guy hobby-wise. Do you feel like is Brady undervalued or underloved hobby-wise compared to Michael Jordan based on his accomplishments and accolades? 
we all agree Brady is the GOAT of football. Everyone knows Michael Jordan is the GOAT of basketball. I consider him to be the GOAT of the hobby and maybe all professional sports. Is How does Brady compare in your mind hobby-wise to Michael Jordan? And I know that there's going to be differences in their cards that are out there, but if you could just sort of say all else being equal, um, how do you feel Brady is treated by the hobby compared to the way Michael Jordan is based on his status? So it's not close. I mean, it's, it's Jordan by far. Um, and part of me understands it, but part of me also thinks that there's an opportunity to pick up certain stuff from Brady that is quote unquote cheaper now that could have value down the road. Because if you look back to Jordan's, you know, playing days or end of his career, like all these nineties inserts right now, that do crazy money. They weren't that valuable back then. Right. So I think there's, there's something to be said about picking up some Tom Brady, you know, you can, you can get a, a nice insert numbered insert of Tom Brady in a gem slab, BGS nine, five or PSA, whatever your TSA 10, whatever you like to do for 300 bucks or under and stuff like that just seems like a no brainer safe buy to me. Uh, when looking at him long term. But I think the big factor, too, is that the NBA is global, whereas the NFL isn't, right? So you talk about the reach of Jordan and the Jordan brand and, and things like that. Um, that's something that Brady doesn't have. And by no fault of his own, football is not global, right? Even though I think that there's trying to push toward that, you know, all these games in London and Germany, I think eventually we're going to see a team outside of the United States. I think that Roger Goodell, he's, he's not, that's not a secret that they're trying to, to do something like that. And I think that could only help in the long term. Um, but I, I, the, the fact that, you know, Brady has the Brady brand now, the fact that he's going to stay in the spotlight with the TV contract, although there is starting to be rumblings that he won't do that, but that's a combo for another day. But I think that the more you, know, you talked about, um, gearing people toward retired players or players who are active, I think that when it comes to collecting retired players, I want those players, um, staying in the spotlight a little bit. I don't want them to just kind of go off in the sunset never to be heard from again because it's not going to help their value. So I think guys like Peyton and Brady, Peyton, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love watching Monday Night Football, the whole Peyton and Eli broadcast. It's hilarious. They go at each other. They make fun of each other. Then just getting in their minds when they're, they're talking about certain – it's just awesome. He's in the limelight, right? Peyton – people know who Peyton Manning is. People know who Tom Brady is. Not to any close scale of Michael Jordan. So I, I think that – go back to your question. It's Michael Jordan. It's not close. But I think that can that gap be closed a little bit? I think it can, but the, the gap's always going to be there because MJ is MJ. I mean, he's yeah. he's got the brand globally. Yeah, I oh, appreciate it. Great answer. I, I, agree, I agree with what you said. All right. We had a comment here from Cardboard Prof. It says, that's the, and this is going back to our discussion earlier, that's the hardest part about dealing cards as a primary income. You have to make decisions out of need sometimes, which doesn't always match what you want to do. Yeah, very fair comment. Uh, good day to Global, you beautiful human. Good to see you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> he goes on to say, biggest gains come from my PC cards that I've moved on for a larger PC card. That seems like with that consolidation, that trading up, uh, you know, going for the grails sort of thing. Makes sense to me. Tip of the mid. Uh, it was great to meet Tip of the mid at the Nationals. So I had a great first National experience. Well, three of my four pcs there and hit one target card tobacco era hockey card thank you jeremy you are welcome for that scott fiscus good evening to you mark santucci wants to know kevin do people ask you about bobby or and phil espositos or just brady you are out of the uh boston you're close to boston massachusetts uh what's the hockey demand like for you there so it's kind of a difficult question for me to answer because I don't have any hockey in my showcase. So people probably aren't going to ask me. I do get asked about or definitely get asked about or, um, 
but I've only the only real hockey cards I've owned have been Gretzky rookies, and I've, I've moved them quick. They're super popular, right? Um, mm-hmm. But so I don't get asked about them a ton. But I know, like, I got a buddy who sets up next to me has some hockey stuff. I know he gets asked about those guys. So for me, I don't get asked personally because people don't see hockey in my showcase. So I think they're like, all right, you know, this guy doesn't do hockey. What's the point of asking him? But I know those are names I get asked about definitely. All right, Tiger Jordan says, "What's been the hardest part of your transition from teaching to cards full time?" Um, nothing. <laughs> I'm just I'm I I I'm so much happier. Um, and I'm I'm not a and Jeremy, we talked about this the other day and we chatted before the show. I'm not a morning person at all. So the fact that I can wake up later now is awesome. Um, I was just teaching is and I'm not trying to demean out of the jobs out there. Teaching is one of the toughest jobs in the country right now. Um, the way the, where things are going with education, like this is a whole other conversation for a different show someday. But it was just I got to a point where when you stop believing in what you're doing, it's probably time for a change. Um, and I'm very fortunate. We talked about I go back to that comment earlier about um, somebody mentioned having a supportive wife makes the hobby so much easier. And you and I in, in our conversation, we definitely lucked out there. And, um, you know, she's very supportive. And the, we've got two young kids. I can be with them a lot more now at home. Um, bring my son to the bus stop in the morning, pick him up at the bus stop end of the day. We play basketball every day after school. Just little things like that that I can do now that I couldn't do before. Um, so, I mean, obviously not having a consistent income can be scary, right? Um, but at the same time, I taught in Rhode Island. Um, income wasn't super great anyway, and the pension system wasn't very great. So I didn't feel like I was leaving a ton on the table. So really, to, to answer the question, the hardest part, there really hasn't been a hardest part. Um, but I do want, I, you know, I'm a, I, I like to think of myself as a hard worker. So when I have days where there's not a ton to do, I, I'm like, all right, like I got to find something to do. So I think that having a, a set schedule of, of a, almost a, a new daily routine, because the teaching daily routine was there. You're up at six o'clock, you're out the door by 6.45, you know, classes start at 7.30, the day ends at 1.52, you know, you stay after school for extra help with kids, that was set. So I think the toughest part, which hasn't been really been tough because it beats the hell out of correcting papers and planning lessons is just having a set daily routine of stuff that I want to get through um, and setting that so I don't fall behind or that, you know, so I stay ahead of the game. So. Good. Yeah. I, I, I like that daily routine part. Uh, really reconfiguring your, your, your lifestyle is, is what it comes down to, but it sounds like you're really happy. Tiger Jordan says, Kevin, what percent of your sales are in person versus online? Tiger Jordan come with some great questions. Um, so I I don't do a ton of online business. I don't have an eBay store. I don't sell on eBay. Um, I don't sell on MySlabs or any of these other online forums. I don't send stuff to auctions. Um, so my dealings are on Instagram and strictly at card shows. And I'm fortunate that I set up at so many card shows and do well enough that I could really just do that and be fine for right now. Um, but when I do stuff on Instagram, it's normally um, cheaper slabs. When I have an abundance of those, I want to move those. I'm selling those under comps. They, they move pretty well. Um, or for example, like, I pick up a random collection of like um, cheaper game using autos of, of legends, which I did. I might put, I, I didn't move a ton of those to the national cause I didn't have space to put them out, but um, I might move some of those in a story. still. so my, my percentage of online versus in person is probably like 90% to 10. So it's 90% online in person deals. Wow. Excuse okay. me. In person deals versus online. Yes. All right. Thank you. Tip of the mitt. Not, every, not everything is for sale, but most things can be bought. That's in reference to the, the, uh, There, there we are. That's having cards and showcases uh, that are not priced. Uh, Braves went on to say, I think having NFS cards makes more sense at the national or other large shows because I believe a lot of people go to see cards they can't see anywhere else, even if they can't afford 
the cards and that does make sense to me as well uh okay now i'm just going just getting caught up on all the comments that have come in in the last few minutes everybody uh we're gonna go we're gonna go to this one right over here from the professor he says the card father told the dealer to put out a value box which the dealer did at the national and got a great response from that do you have do you do value boxes i mean i remember seeing your booth you you're pretty much all showcase worthy cards aren't you yeah and it's not like i have nothing against value boxes i just i i don't have the time and patience for the cheaper stuff right now but and my other thing too is um those people who put out the value box stuff have to be so much more diligent in terms of theft at the national and that's something that I don't want to have to deal with. I've seen it happen firsthand in the booth next to me, get, you know, a ton of stuff stolen. So it, it's multiple reasons why I don't do that, but I'm, I'm just more of a showcase guy. It's much easier security-wise to have stuff in the showcase, not to worry about it. Drake's PC, who we were talking about, says, question for Kevin as a dealer, how, does, how do you approach cards and slabs that aren't PSA or BGS when it comes to deals at shows? Is it important to have both unique slabs and cards and unique cards in the showcase? Great question, Drake. Um, so I don't deal with any slabs besides Beckett and PSA. Um, I've had a ton of money in, in, I mean, a, a bunch of grading companies came out during the COVID boom and things like that. And Jeremy, I know you're affiliated with one as well. Um, but when it comes to modern stuff, I do um, PSA and Beckett. When it comes to older vintage stuff, I do PSA and I do SUC as well. So um, will I have other company slabs eventually? I, I would think so. It's just more so getting familiar with them and seeing the secondary value in the market and things like that. Because um, I know that there are some other very solid grading companies out there. It's just when it comes to my experience as a dealer in terms of moving them, um, like I've had one card in particular that's not in a Beckett and PSA slab that I've had for a while that I just can't move. Um, so my clientele and customers prefer Beckett and PSA. So naturally, I kind of, my cat's peeking out in the background, sorry. I kind of led myself toward having that because that's you, you have what the people want in a sense, right? Um, but I've had other friends have a lot of success moving slabs from other companies whether modern, vintage, whatever. Um, it's just that's where I am at with that. Well, if I can ever answer any questions for you about tag, just let me know. I'm happy Thank to you. and I'm sure we'll Thank get you. I'm sure we'll get some slabs into your showcase uh, pretty pretty darn soon. I want to say hello to uh, the mayor of Canada, Richie Barone, coming up as a Facebook user. He collects his what he calls dead cuts. Good to see you, buddy. Cardboard Profit says agree on proven guys like Howell and Ritter are great examples where you sell the hype before the season and sure you pass the upside to the buyer, but you also pass all the risk to them too. I think that is right. Anani says flip Mahomes cards for profit and buy rare expensive Brady cards with the gains. What do you think of that strategy? I mean, Mahomes is still active. He could get hurt. There's risk there. I'm glad you stopped. I wanted to, I, I like that comment a lot. I wanted to mention it. So first off, um, I don't say things like that because people, you know, one of the, one of the favorite things people to say right now in the hobby is pumper. Like you're a pumper. If you talk about your cars that you have and you want to sell them. Um, I think that's smart. And I did that with Mahomes. Um, I had a very big Mahomes collection. Like I said, I got into him after the first Super Bowl, but his cards still weren't out of reach. So I bought a ton. Um, and I was able to capitalize majorly on some of those and turn that into, um, higher end Brady cards, which I was successful with. With that being said, I love Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is a great long-term play. I don't think he's done with two Super Bowls. There's definitely always risk, but you look at it, right? Like um, Peyton Manning had a season-ending injury, and his stuff's still worth money. Tom Brady had a season-ending injury, and his stuff is still worth a lot of money. So, I mean, injuries can happen, but when they happen to a guy who's established, is I think there'd be less. So, for example, if Desmond Ritter tears his ACL week one, knock on wood, that doesn't happen, obviously. But his cards are going to plummet, like fall off a cliff. 
Whereas if something ever happened to Mahomes, God forbid, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Um, he has established himself as, you know, the best player in the, in the world right now. Right. So I, I think there would be, there's always going to be a drop, but I think there'd be less. So I think there's less risk with him versus these younger quarterbacks who are unproven. Um, but I always think it's, it's a solid idea. Like, you know, or, or let's go back to Jordan, sell some of your Mahomes cards for profit and get some Jordan stuff. Right. I mean, which is actually, if people were following my post, my, my first three posts, when I got back into my card of the day post on Instagram and all the Michael Jordan cards, I've wanted to get into some, some better Michael Jordan inserts. I want to hold some long-term, although I'm finding that difficult because when it comes to Jordan and once again, just to talk about his brand and his popularity in the hobby, um, I'm getting strong offers that it, it, sometimes it's tough to turn down. It's tougher for me now because once again, this is feeding the kids, right? So I do want to make some long-term Jordan plays and turn some profits from different guys into that. Um, so I think that's a great suggestion um, from the comments. It's just, I, 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 I'd rather flip my Herbert or Lawrence or um, Jalen Hurts or Desmond Ritter or guys like that into Brady cards versus all of my homes. I, I would flip some, but I wouldn't sell them all because I think there's going to be a lot of value for him long-term. Yeah, it really depends what else you're carrying, right? You're going to start from the bottom when you're looking to rate money to get into uh, longer hold ter- yeah. holding time cards sort of thing. All right, here's a question from uh, Jack. Welcome to the show. Jack says, Kevin, knowing you do this full time now, how do you find a balance of how much money to have tied up in inventory and deciding once cards are sold, how much capital to put, to put back into new cards and collections versus paying? You got to pay yourself now, Kev. So- yep. So I think that's a great question, um, and that was actually part of my Sorry. PC, part of my PC purge um, this year. Um, I had way too much money tied up in my PC, and that that was just facts. And I realized that I knew that when when I made the change to to be a full time dealer. So part of my PC purge was um, shifting some of that PC money into now available inventory, and because you have to have, you know, Jeremy, you and I have talked about this. You have to have capital on hand to if that big collection walks up to purchase it. Because, you know, I, I missed so many opportunities when I wasn't doing this full time um, of buying collections because I didn't have the capital. Um, so I, I don't want to be in that situation now. So I've definitely positioned myself better now to make um, bigger purchases if the opportunity arises. Um, so, you know, I think that's a great question and it, it is a tough balance to find. But I definitely, you know, I, everything's in a spreadsheet, all my values. I update it, you know, three to four times a year because obviously the market changes and fluctuates. But um, after looking at it, I had way too much money tied up my PC card, so I had to shift some of those to my available inventory. Tough decisions, but it's just something I had to do. Right on. All right, here's a qu- the professor says to me, uh, Jeremy, do Kevin's Brady and Peyton Manning cards qualify as Pareto cards? That's a reference to a, uh, an episode I had about a month or, or so ago with Brent Wire, who is the, the guy behind the, all the Pareto talk lately. I would say certainly they do, professor. Not only are, are Brady and Manning uh, Pareto players, but I think those would also be Pareto card, but we would have to talk to Brent Wire, deep value investor, to, to confirm. I'm no expert on the Pareto principle as it applies to the hobby. Uh, Brave says, Kevin, those coffin cards deserve to be in an NFS display case at your table. Awesome cards. Love that. Very good. Very good. Vintage card player. Interesting comment says, in my opinion, Brady just has way too many cards. Kevin, uh, please speak to that because I, I understand the comment. But I but but while I understand the comment and I and I I don't know if I, I think I'll acknowledge that I think that might be somewhat true. Tons of players have that many cards nowadays, especially in basketball. So I'll, but I'll put it over to you now, please. Yeah. So I, I would disagree with that um, because, so for example, there was a stat put out and I, I don't have the, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I can give you a ballpark. Trevor Lawrence has like 6,000 different rookie cards. Tom Brady had 44. 
So I, I think that there's a ton of like you see a ton of Tom Brady stuff now, like the new Mosaic products and Prism and stuff like that. Like you talk, you know, quality Tom Brady cards. There's there's so much less compared to these new modern quarterbacks. And you know, we're kind of in right now. Um, we already had the junk wax era in the eighties and nineties, right. That already happened, but it's kind of back in a sense. And I think that we're going to be in a situation where in 20 years, we're going to look back at this era. and There's going to be a junk slab era while this modern prison, everybody was like busting up boxes of prison basketball, sending every card to get graded. That's why you have so many cards that shouldn't be in slabs. Now they're in slabs. That's why PSA had a 10 million card backlog. Right. Um, so does he have a lot of cards? Yes. If you compare it to like Jordan, I guess, or if you compare it to like vintage baseball guys, but um, you compare Brady to these modern guys now, it's not even close. Like they have way more cards um, than Tom Brady did. And we talk about, I guess, no, um, number of cards versus number of quality cards, I guess, are two different things. And yeah. the number of Brady's quality cards are significantly less than these modern guys now. Collectors Canada says in 50 years, Brady will be what Mantle is now in the hobby. Yeah, you're, you're agreeing with that. I, I, I think there's got to be truth to that. Uh, yeah, for sure. CS says, good evening, was very impressed by the quality and prices of the captain's inventory at the National. I just got to say, I love when people refer to you as the captain, uh, not the captain. Right. There's a, you are the captain. You are in I, the I embrace you it, brother. I, I embrace you it. Fairest prices on the big stuff, in my humble opinion. Uh, very nice comment from uh, CS. I collect Ichiro. Get to see you back. What's going on? Lapper in the house. Good evening to you. He says, uh, forgive me if this has been covered, but where does Kevin source the majority of his cards? And uh, I don't, we've talked about where you sell the majority of your cards. We haven't talked about so much where you're sourcing them yet before. I just want to get this one out of the way and welcome CV baseball card collector to the show. Good to see you. Welcome to the show. Uh, so please speak to this one from uh, Lapper, if you don't mind, Kevin. Yeah. So like I, I talked about the fact that I it's 90% in-person deals for me versus 10%, but I take pride in the fact that you can see my inventory at any time. So on my Instagram page, you know, I have my Flickr account, um, the best $8 per month that I spend, where I everything that I have available is on there, including my entire PC, which is why I don't bring my PC to, and I understand, you know, after hearing Layton's comments about wanting to show off some cool cards, I get that. But I guess for me, my, my inventory, my PC is so readily accessible to people, I don't even think about doing that. Um, but you can, you know, anybody who, who follows me on Instagram to captain 37, um, you can, I, my Flickr links right in my profile. You can click on that and see every single car that I own, whether it's PC or whether it's, um, inventory that's available. So it's, it's, it's so readily accessible to people that they can go on and look. And, you know, I also tell people, and this wasn't part of the question, but I want to mention this anyway, I get asked all the time, you know, I have X amount of dollars. What should I put it into? And, it, and once again, it can be an uncomfortable question to answer because I'm trying to sell cards, obviously. But at the same time, the advice I give to people and the stuff I, I tell them I would invest in, you see it all in my PC folders. So I put my money where my mouth is in terms of stuff that I'm going to be holding long term. Um, but, you you know, I, you can see everything I have um, via Instagram, via that link. And um, there's no secrets in terms of what I have, and what I'm investing in long term. Junk Wax Packs says, which Brady cards ranks highest on your wish list? That's a great question. Um, I would love to own a Tom Brady Superfractor. I'm just wondering at this point if that's out of reach based on what they are. So, I mean, really, I showed off really the one-on-one that I have is the Black Fine at the Razzle. Um, but I own I own two Peyton Manning Superfractors. I um, showed off one of them um, from Finest. But I would love to own a Brady Super. 
um, down the road. And then I, I would love to own more Tom Brady shields. I, I just think there's so much value in those long-term. I love to pick up another one, um, the full equipment shield like this, but I also love this too. I mean, I, I love the, the old certified mirror black cards. I got great shine. I'm a big aesthetics guy. I love the way the cards look. So I would say Brady Superfractor and another Brady Shield to the long-term pile would be um, on my wish list. What do you think of this next comment? 4x4 four four Rubicon says, I can't see myself collecting a certified cheater. He deflated footballs, so more than one, and got suspended four games for it. He's a cheater. It was proven. Uh, where, where do you fall on that? I fall on these seven fingers for seven rings, and that's all I got for you. You know, um, haters going to hate. That's fair. Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate, no doubt. So listen, you you switched from being a school teacher going into, as I bounce around, going to the hobby full time. Did you just, did you get any help? Did you get any advice? Were there any, did you consult with anybody and say, hey guys, I'm thinking about doing, like outside of your wife, maybe your your best buddies who you would go to for any kind of, you know, you know, life type of decision. Did you consult anybody in the hobby and get their advice, get their thoughts on where the hobby is at? And like, you know, have you ever considered opening up a store to, 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 to complement your, your business? And I would think to myself, why would you take on that overhead? Uh, you can make, I think you can make a lot more money in singles than in wax, but that might not be the case anymore. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, just speak to all that. Did you consult with anybody and have you thought about a store? So it was less consulting and more of just observing. Um, so I'm fortunate to have some very good friends in this hobby who have been very successful. Um, you know, Mike Cantz, MC Sports Cards. Um, we, we've had a relationship for many years. Um, Ryan, RBI Crew 7, um, and his guys, um, Andy, IndyCard Exchange. Um, so it, I, it, this was a five-year plan. Like this was something I, I planned on doing. So I just kind of watched these guys and how they operate and how they deal with people, these bigger shows. And then, you know, Andy and Ryan specifically, how they deal with people in their shop and things like that. And just kind of like taking notes and watching and observing. This wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, you know, Mike, I talked a little more because, you know, he's kind of doing, he's, he's a much larger scale than I'll, I am and I'll ever be. And he's doing much more consignment now. But um, just seeing how he operates at shows, him and I set up together at shows. Um, he's local to me, obviously. So we see each other a ton um, at local shows, local bigger shows in our area. Um, so, you know, down the road, I, I, I could see potentially a shot, but that's that's way down the road. Like my whole thing with this decision was um, a huge part of this was, you know, my my parents love him to death. Uh, my dad was a nine to five guy, a hard worker. Um, you know, he came home, ate dinner. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. And, uh, you know, she kind of told him what went good, what went bad during the day. And he kind of made sure we knew that bad stuff was going to be tolerated and it was more disciplined. And then um, it was he's going to bed he's up at four o'clock in the morning. Right. So. Um, I look back as a kid and I, you know, I, I, I wish my dad could have been home more to chill and hang out. Right. I, I think every kid does. Right. So the fact that he didn't have the opportunity, he had to work to support our family and he did a great job of that. So I think that my whole thing is I would love to do that with my kids, be able to be home when they get home from school, uh, to be able to be in the morning, to help them go to school, to be able to, you know, help them with homework, do, do things that, um, you know, my parents didn't necessarily have the chance to do. So in the fact that I'm able to do this, my wife, I'm very fortunate. She has a great job and she's very successful. So that was a big factor in my decision, obviously. Um, but, you know, I want to be able to do things for my kids. And my parents couldn't for me. Um, and I think that's important. And really the big part of the decision was being at home with my kids. So um, the card shop thing definitely wouldn't even be considered in the next five to six years, maybe down the road. I, I would love it. And, you know, like I, I talked about my, my card shop that I visited 
um, on Fridays in Franklin, Mass, Force Play. Um, and it was owned by two women. Um, and, and I actually reconnected with them at a show, um, a local show I was set up at, probably about 10 years ago. Um, I saw them, they walked in and, and they were looking at my, and they, they, they just, we locked eyes and it was like, we knew it was, they're like, you're the, the Peyton Manning kid. You're the kid that was buying all the Peyton Manning $1. And we long conversations. And, um, one of them recently passed away and I, I was very, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm so in debt to them because that experience they gave me as a kid made me fall in love with the hobby. And I wouldn't be where I am today without those early age LCS trips going to their shop. Um, so I'll give Jen and Lisa a shout out and Lisa, you know, God rest her soul. Um, but I, I'm so in debt to them because the, the experience I had as a kid because of them made me fall in love with this hobby. And now the fact they're able to do something that I love so much, it all goes back to that. So I would love to own a shop down the road, that, uh, no secret, um, and, and, and build something like, you know, guys like Ryan and, and Andy and, um, you know, have, have done, but, um, it's just not in the cards right now. It's not my business plan right now. My plan is to do what I'm doing, travel the shows, um, you know, in-person sales, maybe build up a little more online sales, um, next year, but just, um, be a dad and be a home with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that. I got to make a trip and check out all these shops, uh, which I haven't been to any of those ones yet. So, but know these guys and, uh, they're all, all great people. So, um, okay. Let, we have, we still want to cover regional premium. And what's going on with the with you know the I remember back in the day Beckett magazines to say you know here's the here are the prices we're seeing but you will see regional premiums as well and we want to talk a little bit about that you have a bit of a concern as the hobby moves forward I want to get to that we want to talk talk about content and branding so we've got a few things to get through still uh, before we do all those Mookie Chilson says Kevin what did you teach anything that relates to all of you to, anything that relates at all to your current career please keep the, this one quick yeah um, so I was a high school English teacher. So I was high school English teacher. I was the, um, an assistant football coach for seven years, and I was the head basketball coach of the high school. I'm still the head basketball coach. I'm still coaching, but I was the English teacher. So really nothing Perfect. nothing that relates to cards, basically. So, yeah. Quicker quicker than I thought it was going to be. Mookie goes on uh, to say, Jeremy, love the makeshift effort to get the show online. Make air, not art. You're both doing – you're doing both. Yeah, we weren't going to let tonight's uh, show go by, so I am doing what I can from my phone. I, as people who have, who have just joined, uh, not in my usual place to run the show, and uh, it is harder on a phone than with a computer and a mouse and multi-monitors, I'll tell you that much for sure. CS says, man, it's hard not to respect the shift towards the focus on his family. Well played. No doubt about that. Thank okay, you. Let's, let's talk about uh, regional premium. I think I put in the in the description for this video that we're going to talk about the downfall of the regional premium because when we were chatting the other day, I, I I basically said like, is there a regional? Are you noticing a regional premium on cards? Are you going to Chicago and buying Brady cards to take them back to to Boston shows? Are you loading up on on Dallas Cowboy cards for when you go to the Dallas show and that sort of thing? And I was thinking to myself, you know. It seems like everybody's buying everything nowadays. It seems like is it really is a regional premium still sure you're gonna on, on, you're gonna have people coming in who don't know a lot about the hobby buying cards of their favorite athletes from their favorite team, but I don't know that they're coming and dropping th like thousands of dollars. I'm talking about mall mall shows and community center shows where there's where there's already traffic, but as far as the hobby as it stands today and and the circles that we're that we're walking in, let's say. Is is there still a regional premium, or can you get as much for a Brady card in at the Burbank show 
or the Dallas show or the national as you can at a show in your backyard? Yeah. So um, for me, that, that regional premium thing is, is, is gone. Um, so, I mean, now full disclosure, I moved all my Justin Fields cards. We were in Chicago at the national, right. And I, I was able to pick those up pretty cheap being in the Boston area, but I actually, um, I do better selling Tom Brady cards outside of new England. And I think that the, the factor there is people are seeing so much of his stuff in our area that not that they get bored with it, but they see it all the time. Right. When I bring some of these nice game use patches and nice shiny cards and rare rookie cards to Chicago at the national or, you know, Burbank Labor Day weekend. When I, brought them, I did really well in Dallas with Tom Brady because um, nobody else in the room had this stuff. Right. So you go to a show in the Boston area, everybody's going to have Tom Brady. So for me, I actually do better selling guys um, outside of their region. So another prime example, I went to the Midwest monster. Um, great show um, in June. It was June, right? I think it was June. And um, I barely moved any Peyton Manning cards, which, and I had two Johnny United rookies. I thought for sure they would move there. Neither one of them moved. So moved a ton of Peyton Manning in Chicago at the national moved both my Johnny United rookies at the national. So I, I'm and I can just speak for me personally. I'm having more success selling guys outside of their region. Um, but I mean, with that being said, you know, back to the Justin Fields thing, it was, he was in super high demand in Chicago. Michael Jordan was in super high demand in Chicago. He's, he's in high demand everywhere. Um, but that, that uh, you, you mentioned something else I want to touch upon. You said, do, am I looking to buy Tom Brady cards in Chicago to bring him back to Boston? My answer to that is no. I've actually found that Tom Brady stuff is so highly priced and sometimes overpriced a lot at these bigger shows. And I think the reason is people have less access to his stuff than I do in my area. I see it all the time. So I can usually pick it up cheaper and, and price it cheaper um, because of that. It's because there's so much of it. It's a supply and demand thing. So when I go to these, and I, I heard it from, I mean, my Brady chat, I mean, multiple Tom Brady chats, you know, probably 50 different Brady collectors on Instagram. So I'm hearing about the show through all these different chats. Um, once I get back from the show and I um, sit down and rest my feet from 10, hour, 10 hours on my feet at the show, and um, I'm hearing, man, there's, there's barely anybody in the room. The stuff I saw was super high price. And, you know, part of me understands why dealers have a price so high because he's the greatest of all time. So you want to get a premium for moving his stuff, especially if you don't have um, access to it like I do. So I get that part. But I've always had better success moving Brady outside of New England and the Boston area versus inside it. Yeah, in interesting, but doesn't surprise me. I think, you know, you think about all the, the great players. Michael Jordan sells everywhere, not just Chicago. Obviously, you know, Connor McDavid is going to sell everywhere, not just Edmonton. Uh, there, they may, there may be more demand for it there, but I don't think that necessarily means a higher price is going to be paid there because everyone has access now to the same information as far as comps go. So with that, do you think that like social media uh, increased traveling to card shows over the last few years by, by many people, has that started to level the playing field as far as regional premiums goes and, and, and just that, you know, you, you don't need to, like, I, I'm just going to take a, a small step back because I think there is something to be said for, you know, I'm going to an area that has, that has the teams that they have, and I'm going to take more cards of those players with me. But is that really, is that still working? Is that, st is that still a strategy? And again, has the access to information, the access to, online marketplaces and 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 social media platforms where tons of trades go down and deals go down like you on instagram have these things kind of just made the regional premium as a overall concept in our hobby go away and i'm literally asking i don't know i'm curious what the chat thinks like are you guys paying more for cards of your of players and your teams in your cities 
or are you noticing that dealers are not charging regional premiums anymore? And I'm only bringing all this up because back in the day, Beckett magazines had a whole paragraph explaining the regional premium and how important it was. Yeah. So I think you, I liked your phrase level the playing field. I think the playing field is leveled, right? People have so much more access to cards in different areas now than they did before, right? Where back in the day, um, you got your singles from the, the local card shop and shows. That was it, right? So you did have to pay a premium at times. Now we have social media, there's Facebook, Instagram, there's, there's, there's card shows all over the country now. Um, you know, I talked about one of my lives last year, show overload. And we're, we're, some show overloads coming. The month of November is overloaded with shows. People have so many different options to get out there and see cards and buy cards. And you have eBay and things like that. Um, so I think it, it definitely has leveled it because if you – live in um i don't know florida and you're you know a dolphins fan you can get two of cards anywhere anywhere it's not like you're just getting them in miami you have to pay a premium for that they're available anywhere and you have so many different avenues that you can go to to purchase these cards all these different auction sites uh, auction sites and auction houses now um so I, I think that you know back to your point i think the playing field is definitely leveled um for sure when it comes to that interesting well here taryn pratt says uh, in in KC, there is a regional premium on Patrick Mahomes. It seems, and um, I, I think I can I can I can reconcile that with what we're talking about, what I'm asking, what you're saying. In that Patrick Mahomes is one of the most popular players in the hobby. He has been going on three years now, uh, if not a bit longer. So I can see there being more of a rush because it's like he's one of those type of players that brings people into the hobby. They come into the hobby because he is in it. So obviously, I think you're going to have the most people most prone to that are going to be in KC because he is their player. So, but I wonder will that and to Terran's experience, will that last or will that start to subside uh, over time? And I might even be surprised that it hasn't started subsiding yet, but maybe it will in due course. Uh, Mark Santucci says, I would think a Schmidt would sell for more in Philly than. Uh, than a Yaz, uh, than a Yaz would, and um, I, I wonder. I mean, why? Why would it though? Because where are you? I I don't know if that's the case. Uh, and and I mean, I don't know how much you can speak to, to baseball, but if you think of a comparable football players or something you know better, um, can you speak to this at all from Mark? Well, I mean, I I had a Yaz card. I had one. I couldn't move it in our area. It didn't move. Um, I moved it outside when I went, actually moved it in Indianapolis of all places. So, um, you know, I just, I, I can, I, I think it, it makes sense. It's a good point. Certain obscure players, I think you can get more, not that Schmidt and Yaz are obscure. I'm just saying that at certain obscure guys, you can probably get more in the region versus outside of it. Right. Like, you know, in my, who's, who outside of New England is going to want like a, um, I don't know, Devin McCourty card or Ramondre Stevenson, or um, I don't know, you could name some older Patriots too. But like, so I, I can see, I guess I can see it there with some of the less obscure guys. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a, now that I'm thinking of more, I actually can see that the more obscure yeah. guys, I, I think you can, there is a premium in the region because they're not going to yeah. move elsewhere, right? For te- for like full blown team collectors. Um, I can see that definitely. Yeah. You know, and the more, the more that I'm thinking about it as well, I think that, you know, you can't make the sweeping comment that regional premium doesn't exist anymore. It certainly does. I, I'm just thinking hockey-wise, you know, certain players I can't sell here in Calgary, but I can easily sell in Vancouver. Yeah, uh, I think I think it maybe the other way to look at it is, you know, 
can you sell cards? Can you sell cards from your home uh, of players that aren't popular where you are? And the answer to that is yes, because we have access to a worldwide marketplace. And maybe I was kind of in my head confusing those two concepts. So, um, but I think regional premium does exist, but I, I also think that it's not to the degree it used to be uh, because of the access to to just everything everywhere these days. Uh, Taryn lets us know that it is not Taryn, it is Brian on my wife's YouTube. Uh, Brian, thank you. I, I, know them, I know them personally, so that's, hi Taryn and Brian. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, welcome to the show, Taryn and Brian, or just Brian. Matthew, uh, Matt, Hobby Champ says, Matthew Slater probably sells better in New England than anywhere else. Yeah, so uh, yeah, regional premiums still exist. I don't think we have the downfall happening quite yet. I just think that people have, if you are in the hobby, you're not going to pay a premium to buy it locally. Uh, not all you're going to be less disposed to paying a premium to buy it locally when you can simply go online and buy it from someone somewhere else who just wants to get rid of it because they have no interest in their local market, perhaps. So there's a lot of moving parts. There. It's, an it's an interesting conversation. Let's move on, though, if you're ready to and um, talk about, uh, you know, I had asked you to think about this, you know, has your outlook on the hobby changed since you went full time into it? Um, you know, I think, I, I think, and I'm going to fast forward here. I know you, you know, you're still bullish on the hobby long term. I'll let you speak to that. But you also mentioned a concern to me that I'd like you to share as far as um, the age group of, I think you mentioned it being like 12 to 20 year olds. Can you, uh, can you speak to all that, please? Yeah, so I mean, the, the the answer for me is yes and no in terms of it's changed. The no the no answer not changing is easy. You just mentioned it. Very confident in the hobby long term. It's been around for over 100 years. I have full confidence in the long term, or I wouldn't have made this switch. Um, I still think long term plays are the way to go for collectors, you know, having a long term mindset. And this is where it gets to my concerning part. Um, and I talked about this multiple times in my pre national lives, my national do's and don'ts. Um, and I, and I, it, it popped up at the show multiple times. There's just, that age right now, it's just, uh, I don't know how many collectors there are, and it concerns me. I just can't imagine um, being 13, 14, 15 years old. When I was 13, 14, 15, I was trying to add cool paid Manning cards to my PC. That's all I cared about, where it seems like everybody in this age bracket now cares about flipping and, and making a quick buck. And I, I had multiple conversations, and I, I, you know, I'm not trying to be rude or blunt, but I put a couple kids in their place, right, because it's like, like well, you know, I I had one kid in particular. I think he, I think he was twelve, and he's you know he's got his phone, he's comping everything. Which I have, some dealers get really offended with. I have no problem. You want to comp your stuff, comp it. I want you to feel comfortable making a purchase for me. I mean, yeah, I want to make money, but like I don't want. I would never want someone to feel uncomfortable when they walk away from my table because that's going to mean there's going to be no future business there and no relationship there in the future, right? Um, but he's like, well, this this one, you know, it's priced okay, but I can't make any money off it. So can you do any better? I'm like, what what did you just say? I'm like, and it was a Joe Burrow card. And I'm sitting here like, buddy, it's okay to be a collector. It's okay to like Joe Burrow and collect him, not worrying about flipping it for $20 more at the next table, right? And there's just such a flipper mindset, and it stems. I mean, it, it there's, these kids watch all these videos from all these influencers, right? And they see, you know, all these young quarterbacks flying around the room, money, cash, cash and photos. Um, I'm not a big cash and photos guy or videos, if, um, you know, just making that pretty clear. But it, and they're like, I just want to make money. Whereas I really wish the mindset was, man, I'm a Bengals fan. I love Joe Burrow. He's awesome. I want to collect his cards. And that's how it was for me and my friends when I was younger. And I'm not seeing that now. I would literally say, 
I had to put a number on it, 85% of, of kids in that age bracket right now are just buying to flip. And that concerns me long-term for people who are holding some of these guys long-term. Like how many, and I've said this, I, I, you know, beating a dead horse here, but I've said it multiple times. How many Desmond Ritter collectors are out there right now? How many Justin Herbert true collectors are out there right now? Um, I mean, I, I know Tom Brady has a strong collector base. We know, you mentioned it, Jeremy, that Michael Jordan has a massively strong collector base, right? How many of these newer, younger guys have a strong collector base where you can feel confident in their cards long-term, you know, two, three, five, ten years down the road? And my answer is, I don't know. And it, it's not a, a good feeling. I, I just truly wish that these younger kids would worry about building their collections and having fun with it versus flipping it and, and making the quick buck. Um, so that was and – and it was a concern for me going into the national – and that concern was only solidified after dealing with um, kids in this age bracket at the national. So it, you know, and I, and listen, I met plenty of cool young kids who were adding to cool cards to their collection. Hey, you know, the dad's like, he, he's, he's wants to add a Tom Brady card to his collection to hold on to what, what's your advice. It's awesome. So I don't want to make this blanket statement, but my dealings over the past six months to a year haven't been good um, in that area. And it, that is concerning for me long-term, like how many, it, it's okay to be collectors kids. It really is because that, you know, and that's what makes made me fall in love with the hobby. Because if you're just a flipper, here's what's going to happen, right? You're going to buy this young quarterback that you think you can make money off of, and he's going to get hurt or he's going to suck or something bad's going to happen, and you're going to lose money and you're going to be done. You're going to hate it, right? If you just collected cards to collect cards and build a cool collection and share that with your friends, you want to share that in social media, that's cool too. And it was less about the money aspect, it, it, you're going to find yourself in a much better spot. Um, mentally and emotionally, right? And then in turn, the hobby would be in a better spot long-term. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, appreciate those comments. So I'm going to follow up with, with this thought here. You know, I'm thinking about these 12 to 20 year olds. These are, these are students for the most part. They don't have a uh, 10, 15, 20 year career under their belt. They probably don't have a lot of money. So they're using, I believe they're using the hobby to make money so that they can have a life. Maybe, buy whatever kids those age are buying mm -hmm. right now to uh to go out with our friends and you know meet uh meet potential boyfriends girlfriends that sort of thing have some fun go go party so i understand why they're doing it i think we all understand they want to make some money so should we as a hobby embrace them and welcome them because they could be doing it somewhere else or not doing it at all not developing these life skills of negotiating and business and handling money and handling inventory should we welcome them in or should we resist them now that's i'm, I'm just posing that out there as a, as a, as a thought because the follow-up thought to that for me is you know i think of myself I, I think of myself as a kid i couldn't afford the cards that i wanted back then and i've spent my adult life chasing cards because i couldn't afford them when i was a kid maybe that if you go get deep into my psyche as to why i'm a collector so to kids today like, will they, when they're, if they're 12 to 20, when they are, say, 35 to 50 and they're making money, they're in a career, do you think at that point, it's a question for everyone to think about and, and respond if you'd like to in the chat, but will some of these 12 to 20-year-olds who are only in it today to make money, will they come back in their 30s, 40s, 50s when they're making money and start buying these cards that I'm sure they like them. Like they're, they're not simply widgets to them. Some people they are, but I think some of them actually like the cards. Will they come back in later life and go after these, these, these players like Herbert and Burroughs and 
and Josh Allen and all these guys who are great players now, but, you know, especially if down the road, those players become all-time greats or, or had great Hall of Fame careers, will they come back later and be collectors is what I'm getting at. Like, should we, should we be mad at them now? And maybe we never get them back and they never come back in the hobby or should we embrace them and, and hope that they come back down the road? I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. So hundred percent embrace them. I mean, I'm embracing anybody that comes to a card show. I'm just making an observation, right? But I think that we want them long-term to want to buy those cards, right? But my whole thing is nine times out of 10, they're not going to want it because those guys aren't going to pan out. And that, that's well, the issue. Right, but, right? but the ones, but, but some players will pan well, out will. what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I, I think like for me, like I, I talked about it earlier with the whole Top School label thing, right? When I was at an age where I had the means to purchase, I went and bought every single Peyton Manning Top School label card. Right, because that was nostalgia for me. That's the stuff I wanted when I was a kid. I couldn't afford, so I understand that. It's just, I think, I think for those kids to come back later in life, they have to have some collector in them, and I just, I'm not seeing as much collector as I would like to see from that age bracket. And I, I, I listen. I, I respect the side hustle. I think every point you made is great. With hey, if they can make twenty extra bucks, they can go to the movies or or whatever with their friends and hang out. And, and I, I get that completely. It's just I, I would like to see a little more um, collector rather than focusing strictly on the money. It was what I was getting at, but I think I think that's a that's a great point. I I, I, I yeah. definitely think we embrace them, and I think that we hope that they want to come back later on and do that. That's going to keep the hobby strong in the long term. And maybe some of these guys that you encounter do actually collect something on the side, but you know maybe they're looking to buy hundred dollar cards to flip for one twenty one fifty, or they're buying thousand dollar cards to flip for eleven twelve hundred or more but may, maybe and i'm just you know i'm, I'm hopeful I'm, I'm saying this with a hopeful tone maybe they're also collecting cheaper cards because they like the looks of them and they can you know they're more affordable but maybe not as well i think we have to be real there okay a couple comments uh back on the regional premium collectors canada puts it really well here i think this sums it up really what we what i was trying to get through in my head was regional premium yeah. doesn't affect the price but definitely the, the demand Great uh, I think that's com comment of the night so far right there. Really succinct. Thank you, Collectors Canada. Another great comment here. Well, it's great because he, he reiterated what I was saying. Uh, vintage Card Collector says, years ago when we were when we collected as kids, there was really no way to flip. We might have done the same thing. I get the concern, but they may turn into collectors down the road. And that's what I was hoping great for point. and getting it. Yeah, yeah, getting it as well. CS says, I'm hopeful that fanatics will tightly couple the fan experience with the collector experience, i.e., Cards at games, targeted marketing to kids to grow kids in the hobby. Yeah, I think we're I think we're all hoping that, that that's what Fanatics is going to accomplish. Definitely. That will be the impact that they have. Mark Santucci says, I think some will come back and some will find other interests. I think that's completely correct. And Hockey Cards Plus says, I think if you're a big sports fan, then the collector in you will come out. But if it's just coming out into if it's just coming in to make money, maybe not. Yeah, that, that makes makes perfect sense to me too guys great comments there uh thank you everybody for those ones you know i think part of this whole thing about what you know flippers are a part of the ecosystem i think i think where we where collectors get frustrated is when cards just keep on flipping 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 especially ones we see over and over again at auction houses or online wherever when are they going to find their forever home? When are they going to find a home with a collector who's going to actually love them? We need collectors for these cards, I think, in order for the hobby to to continue to be a viable place for people to uh, to store value. Because once you see, you know, when those first couple PSA 10 Jordans sold for $720,000 in January 2021, all of a sudden, 
they all started appearing and and you know and they're not that rare anymore because uh people realized that they could get a return on them and uh but good for those people who paid 15 grand and got you know 400k to 700k life for them so life-changing for sure all right last thing we got to talk about tonight kevin and this is something i think you are mostly passionate about so i have to make sure that we get to this is and it's you know you in your transition from school teacher to full-time sports car dealer you have been very vocal and i i love your i love when you go live on instagram you've been very vocal about the need and not only vocal about the need to do it but you're surprised by how few people are doing this which is em embracing being a content creator as a dealer and creating a brand for yourself i'm going to leave it there and just let you speak to, to what you're getting at yeah so i you know i think anybody that wants to make this a bigger side gig or eventually get into this full time you have to create content that's just the world we live in now and i understand that it's you know i I preach about it, but it's easier for me because I'm a super social guy. I, I, I could talk to anybody. It's easier for me. I understand it's very, I have, I have friends who are complete opposite of me. Um, you know, so I understand that it's difficult, right? So I always suggest people start small, go live with a mail day, show off one card, like just do things to, to get your face out there a little bit. So people know you, because it's just, you know, it, it, you see it in the chat. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cap, I'm the captain, right? Like I built this brand, this, you know, this brand all stems from my college AOL, instant message screen name, um, kind of date myself a little bit there. But, you know, for me, I knew as part of my five, I mean, I knew I wanted to get out of teaching five years ago, just the way things were going. And I knew that the, the way things were headed with social media and, you know, I had to create a brand. So that's where, you know, I'm wearing it, right? This is where the Captain 37 came. I got the logo done, shut off the brake mats, did an unbelievable job, helped me out creating my logo. Um, I gave them my ideas. They sent me one design. I, I asked for a couple of tweaks. I sent the second one. It was freaking perfect. And here it is. It's on t-shirts. It's on coasters. Um, and do something unique. Like the coasters thing was super unique. When I first brought those to the national, people love those. And everybody has t-shirts, right? Um, but I, I brought the, I'm like, oh my God, the coasters are such a good idea. I had one guy message me um, after the national, probably three or four years ago. And he was like, I brought home so much stuff. And how I know that you did it right was my wife said the coaster was the coolest thing I brought home because we can actually use it daily. And I'm like, yes, like cool, awesome, right? It feels good when you do something that is successful, right? But the brand is huge. I mean, people, you know, people know me. They know me as captain, right? I mean, you know, people bring me captain and diet cokes at the national, which I appreciate, but I couldn't drink them as much this year because I was under the weather. But, um, you know, I, I think building a brand and getting yourself out there so people know who you are. They know what you look like, right? And um, they feel like it's kind of weird to say, but I, I think that when you when you consume content and you consume content from the same people over and over again because you like them, it's almost like you have a relationship with them from behind the screen, right? And that's what I tried to do, right? I want people to feel like they know me. I'm, I, I have no problem sharing things in my personal life and stuff like that. So I think that people people are always going to be more comfortable dealing with people they know and they feel they feel like they know and they feel like they can relate to a little bit. Um, you're not going to want to deal with somebody you don't like or somebody you 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 feel is a snake oil salesman or a used car salesman, right? So I try to give off, you know, positive vibes. I try to express my love for the hobby, which I hope comes through more than anything else. The fact that I love this hobby. I've loved it since I was five years old. Um, and yes, I'm doing it now to pay the bills. I'm trying to sell cards and make money, but um, I just have a true passion for the hobby. So I think building your brand and getting yourself out there is just so important. And even if you're sitting there watching now and you're, you're like, shit, I can't do this. I'm super shy. I'm never going to be able to do this. Like start small. I was, you wouldn't believe it, but I was not a social media person at all, at all. I had a Twitter 
because I used that for my high school basketball coaching, right? But I wasn't a social media person at all. But before I set up at my first national, um, I had a couple of friends and my wife suggested, why don't you get on Instagram? And I'm like, I don't want Instagram. I don't want to deal with this stuff. Like I'm not a high school kid. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this, but I did it. And it was the best decision I ever made in my entire, and, and literally without Instagram, I wouldn't be where I am today. So indebted there in terms of, you know, who I am and my brand and be able to move cards and the following I have now. Um, it's led to stuff like this. I mean, you know, Jeremy, how would you know me? Right. Seriously. If it wasn't for Instagram, my lives, things like that, you would have met me through Mike eventually. Right. But like that, that helps. I've met so many people and in, in, in formed so many great relationships, whether it's business relationships or hobby relationships through my brand and Instagram. And it's, it's just so important to get yourself out there. Um, so people can see it and, and, you know, build a relationship with you. Yeah, man. I mean, we're both, we're both, we're so fortunate to have social media, the ability to even the concept of build your brand as a collector or as a dealer, it, it's something that was, would have been foreign probably, you know, well, not maybe, maybe, you know, 10 plus years ago, yeah. who's building a brand as an, as an individual, but, but with, with these platforms like YouTube and Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, you can you can actually build brands now as just one-off collectors, uh, one-off collector dealers, uh, whatever whatever you want to be. You said you said you know start small, and I I think that's that's a really that's really good advice. I'll take it one step further and I'll say just start. If you're yeah. looking, if you want to start to build your brand, you want to start to do content. Um, there's it doesn't have to be on YouTube. It doesn't have to be uh, on Twitter. It can be what on whatever platform you are the most comfortable on. Uh, but I would say you know just start. If it's something that, um, that that you do want to do, um, yeah, like we're, you know, you said we wouldn't know each other. It's enhanced the hobby in general. Like you know, I've, I've been doing this my whole life. You've been doing it a very long time. It's enhanced my life. My closest friends are hobby friends, uh, and some have even become hobbyists. Uh, it's in, awesome. In more re or gotten back into it after 25 years being away from it and are just great friends in, in the hobby. But yeah, we're, we're fortunate. The, it's, the hobby is just, a, it's just a great place overall. Um, I feel let's go to some comments now. Kev. Thanks for that. Lapper says, uh, agree people flipping to flip won't last. The ones with longevity have to have some good degree of collector in them. I think they do have to have some collector in them to, to last. Yeah. Hockey cards plus says I'm the same Kevin. I can talk to a complete stranger for an hour doesn't have to be about cards and the thing about that is that when it when I talk to a hobbyist and I know that we have cardboard in common it makes it like there's just that common it, it's rapport that's how that's like the, the foundation of, of of rapport in a lot of cases and it can be it can start with oh you're in the hobby cool so am I oh what else do you what, what do you do for a living or you know where do you live? And then you can talk as hockey cards plus and you can talk to that person for an hour about things that don't even have to do with a hobby. But in the back of your mind, that whole hour that you're talking, you know that you have cardboard in common. Is that and cool? that's, that's pretty cool, right? I, I love that part of it. CS says 100% nailed it. Folks feel like they know, like, and trust you if you have a positive social media persona and if, and if you resonate with them. If they, you know, people want it. I always say this, people want to do business with people that they like. And if they like you, well, that's only good for business, but it's also good for relationships because business, business is relationships. So anything to add to that from your experience? No, I think you just nailed it. People uh, like, why would I want to give money to somebody I don't like? 
It just, it's just never going to happen, right? Like, I, I listen, I've had cards I wanted at shows. I mean, like, you know, I, this is my, I think it was my 13th straight national. I've done like seven as a walker, six as a dealer. I remember being a walker and just, just not, uh, someone's got a card in the showcase I want, but I didn't like their attitude. I'm not giving you my money. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, I, I the, the only way to show somebody or to hurt somebody's, um, you know, experience as a dealer is not giving them money. Right. That's how you really get to it. Right. People want to complain about things on Instagram and stuff like that. The only way to truly complain and make a statement is to not give somebody your money. Right. So um, I'd like to think of myself as a likable guy. And listen, I don't get along with everybody. I'm not I'm not going to hide that. But um, but at the same time, like, I, you know, you want to create that positive experience, that positive social media presence. Um, so people a feel comfortable when they see you in person. And B, they like you, right? Because no, no one wants to do business or trades or, or deals with somebody they don't like. So you, you nailed that, Jeremy. Right on. Brave says kids that age are more in tune with the value of a dollar. They're hearing more about money from their parents. Therefore, they're more attracted to the money aspect of the hobby. Nostalgia hasn't set in. So a comment from earlier, but I think that's so that it makes a lot makes a lot of much makes a lot of sense to me. Vintage says I took my eleven year old. Uh, to the national, I'm amazed how few parents I saw with underage kids, especially at trade nights in hotels. You notice yes. the same thing, Kevin? So, man, I, I, I just, I can't believe, I vividly remember one national and seeing this little kid. He must have been like nine years old, Jeremy. And he had probably 50 grand worth of cards in his little box. And there was no parent in sight. And me, that's, this was before, I, I'm just sitting there like, there's so much risk right now. Right. But then I'm seeing he's he's willing to do it. I was like, oh, come on, man. The last one did nine grand. You got to give me at least eighty five hundred. And I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm dying. Me and my buddy were, were laughing hysterically. But at the same time, now as a parent, I'm looking at that like I don't want somebody like somebody sees that little kid with 50 grand worth of stuff. Bad things could happen. Right. We don't got to get into it. But like I, I, I completely agree how many kids I dealt with at the show. And I don't feel like if I do a bigger deal with the younger kid at the show, it's not being closed until an adult comes over. And and yeah. I, I I know I don't deal with and I I strongly suggest that to any dealer out there. If you're dealing with a kid like you know tw- I feel like twelve and thirteen is like the cutoff. They're you know approaching high school. I'm, I'm cool doing a, a deal there, but like you start doing a bigger deal with like a, a younger kid. I'm not doing anything exchanging money or anything without the parent being there to witness and see it before the deal is done. I strongly suggest that to any dealer out there. Um, but I I completely agree. I saw a ton of kids just walking around doing their own thing. Parents weren't in sight. Um, so yeah, that it, it's a little alarming to me, I guess. I, so I, I, kinda, I, I definitely agree with vintage cards collector, um, and the take there. Yep. Awesome. CS just add one more piece to that. I have zero interest with guys who post great stuff, but have zero interest in chatting what I'm interested in collecting, uh, et cetera. Lots of nice guys to follow. Yeah. I mean, again, do business with people that, that resonate with you, that you enjoy their style and all that. All right. Last thing, Kevin, Fanatics is on the cusp of taking over the football licenses, basketball, baseball they have through tops. Um, what are you, what, what, you know, what if, what is your biggest hope for Fanatics coming in? And what is your biggest fear with Fanatics coming in with these licenses? So, you know, this doesn't affect me personally a ton. And we talked about this because, you know, I do singles, right? So, Whatever they decide to do, it's going to affect, you know, the card shops out there and the breakers more. But in terms of, like, my fit, monopoly is never a good thing. I think competition is always good, right? So they seem to be doing an all-out takeover right now. And, you know, it, it was cool to see Michael Rubin at the National. I think it's good that he's getting out. He's been at other shows, too. I think it's good he's getting out there and getting a pulse for 
you know, what these shows are about, what collectors want to see. Um, but, you know, I, I do, I, I think healthy competition is a good thing. And it, it I, I don't know what competition they're going to have out there um, when they do do the takeover. So that, I guess that's a concern. Um, my hope, two hopes. So first off, they bought Tops. I want to see Tops Grown Football and Tops Finest back. And, and, and you, we talked about this when we talked before the show. Um, two of my favorite products of all time. I want to see those products back in pro uniforms. I want to see that stuff back. So I really hope they bring back some of the older football tops brands. I think it'd be awesome. And I also think for people that are sitting on some of this older tops, Chrome and finest stuff, Bowman Chrome stuff, you want that because now you're going to have a whole new group of people exposed to these like, Oh wait, these were products that were around back in the day. Let me check out some of this OG stuff. And all of a sudden they're buying those off eBay. And we know that, you know, demand will increase. So selfishly, I want it because I love the product and I think it'll help my collection. Right. And then number two, for me, I want more game use stuff. I want more game use stuff from players. Um, I'm obsessed with game use stuff. I talked about that when I was showing off some of my stuff. Um, but Tom Brady played for the Bucks for three years, has no game use buck cards out there. And I think, I don't think he's had a game use card period in product for like five years. Peyton Manning, they're out of his game use stuff. He hasn't had a game use card in like probably five to six years. Right. Um, Patrick Mahomes, he came in the league in 2017. There's no game use stuff out there for him. And that bothers me because I, you know, and I know I'm not the only one who just loves game use stuff. They have a piece of a game. Um, it, it, it's just cool. It's cool stuff. So I really hope that, um, and I understand like I, I'm a, I'm a big game use guy. I'm, I'm not going to buy anything player one, but rookie year, I'm okay with it because they didn't play yet. So I understand that part, but like you start getting the second, third, fourth year guys and still playing one stuff. It's like, come on, man. Give me, give me a piece of the game. Let me, let me have something in my collection that this person wore, you know, out there, right? And it would be great if we could kick it old school and go back to the point where on the back of the card it says where it comes from. It says the game, right? Because that could help. I mean, I, I'd rather have a piece of a game, a, a, a game use piece that Tom Brady won versus one they lost, right? So they start getting towards something like that. I think it could open up a whole new door and really it, it would it, if they want to cater to collectors, which they should want to because collectors are the backbone of the hobby. Right, and it's going to keep this thing going long term. Um, I, I, the game use stuff, I think, would be huge, and I hope to see it more from these younger guys versus all player worn stuff. You know, three, four, five years into the career. Yeah, I mean, I I love all your answers there. You know, tops, chrome, finest coming back would be would be wonderful. But the game use piece, I think that's uh, I think a lot of people would love that. And then I th I think what that does is because my big my one of my biggest concerns in the hobby is that. Card companies, you know, they're, they're they have, it, it's a very short cycle. Create, a, create a, a product, release it, sell it, move on to the next, you know, and then they, they evaluate the success based on how much profit they make on a product mm -hmm. by product basis. I wonder how much they really care about the future values of these cards down the road, the secondary market value as time goes by, because that's what collectors and that's what many, I won't say all collectors, some don't care about the price of their cards, the value, but many people in this hobby care about the future value of their cards. And so I wonder how much, you know, just how much attention and effort and care current card companies give towards that. And with, you know, there's, there, they, they are under constraints, like sticker autographs, for example, it just, it's something that it's almost like a necessary evil redemptions. These are like, necessary we don't love them in the hobby but they're yeah. kind of necessary non-game worn memorabilia whether it's player worn or you know some the way some i think 
Panini says, you know, we basically don't know where the thing came from. So it's just event worn, it looks. you know, yeah. Or, or, or from, or from no particular game or, or, yeah. or like it could literally be bought at a garage sale. Like you just don't know where it's from. Um, and that gives me no, no comfort in, in those pieces, unless I just like those, those pieces of fabric embedded within the card from a purely aesthetic perspective. But really, that it's just a design element. It could be foil. It could, it could, it could just be. A, it's just a design element at that point. There's no real intrinsic value uh, for that. So, so with that, I think that for the hobby, for secondary market values to to endure and to sustain and to continue to be a thing, uh, you know, when it comes to memorabilia cards, you're going to want them to be game worn. There's going to be additional value uh, given to those down the road, and with fanatics coming on. I feel like they have to be tuned into this. I feel like they have to be and that they're going to now maybe it's going to be reserved for the highest end products and that's okay by me. Yeah. You know, I'm not I don't break product anyway, so I'll wait for it to hit the secondary market anyway and pay what it takes at that point in time to just get the player I want, but um I'm with you man. I want to see a, a a revival of some of those amazing brands from from yesterday and I also want to see more game used in those products. So all right, let's go to a couple of last comments. We're, we're going to wrap up here, guys. And I just want to thank, before we get these last comments, I want to thank you, Kevin, for sharing that you were coming on with your followers on, on Instagram and anyone who's here, uh, but you never heard of me before, seen Sports Cards Live. I want to thank Kevin for bringing you over to the show. And I do invite you to subscribe to this YouTube channel and uh, check out my live interactive interviews every Saturday night, among other content that I do as well. So thank you to you, Kevin, for that for sure. Very, very grateful. Um, okay, a couple of comments here. Junk Wax Pack says, great show tonight, guys. Love hearing your perspective, Kevin, and found your pre-post national content very helpful. Very awesome. nice. Thanks, man. Very nice. Uh, Professor says, what is Kevin's opinion of Leaf products is not licensed, uh, but having player licenses on a recent... So, yeah, you want to just quickly uh, give your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing against Leaf personally. I just I don't I don't do Leaf products at all. I've, anytime I've owned them, I had a tough time moving them. Um, you know, back in the day, like Leaf certified and stuff like that, different animal than Leaf limited. But the newer stuff, I um I, I avoid. Yet still, they sell out their products. And they do. Find exactly. And they got, they I have friends. Homes. I have I have friends who only collect Leaf stuff. You know, because it's right. a car piece. So, I mean, it's just it's all personal preference. Like I like once again, I have nothing against Leaf, but I. I go towards stuff that I know I can move and it's just a little tougher to move that stuff. Um, you kind of you limit your buyer pool a little bit, but I, I have friends that swear by it. So it's, you know, it's just personal taste and preference. And they, they, they brought back the pro set brand, which you got to give them some, some yep. credit yeah, for right. there. Uh, uh, Brian Pratt, I believe says lucky to get player worn. Now a lot of stuff is not even player worn. It is not associated with any game or event. Exactly. What you said, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, JP says adding the date of the game worn item used creates a greater connection to the player. It's a no brainer. Yeah, that's something that that's a legit I've asked. I've talked to card companies uh, about this. And that is, while it seems like it should be easy enough to do, and I, I think it could be if they threw enough resources at it just from a, a logistical organizational perspective. Um, they have given me some good reasons why it's really hard to do. But again, and I think it's simply it's simply that, you know, each player has a bin of the cut up swatches and they get a new jersey. They just put it in that bin. Well, so that the logical end of add a second bin. Well, now you got now you're taking up now you do that for six hundred players across three different sports. Uh all of a sudden, um, you know, now you need to increase your office. Like there are other reasons for it, but I agree with JP. 
Great idea. He says it's not hard to do, but you don't know that, JP. It, it's, it is harder to do than we think, um, than we'd like to think. And that's just from what I've had these discussions and what they said made sense to me. It doesn't mean I like it, but I think it, it is harder than, than we think. Uh, CS says agree. However, collectors are wise and will be willing to pay more if cards are high quality in design and, and game. Yeah, I, I think I agree on the design for sure. It was only with, with respect to game, you know, game use versus non like, I don't see that like, yeah, we, it's a whole other thing. But I think um, I think down the road, if you're holding a lot of these very expensive RPAs that that are that do not have uh, game worn in them, I think you're I think people are going to be up for some disappointment down the road. I can see that being a bit of a game of hot potato, but that just just might take. Collectors Canada says there was a Brady game worn jersey from last season where they get smoked, where they got smoked by the Panthers. It sold for five hundred thousand. So it's probably really tough for card companies to get. Game worn jerseys of, of yeah, it is tough to get that kind of those no kind doubt. of those kind of pieces. Uh, thank you very much, Eric Stefano, Mark Santucci, Jeremy. Six stars since the internet wasn't your fault. Great job, thank you so much. Professor says Kevin's professional experience as a teacher came through in the interview and in educating us on his perspective. Very nice, Professor. Thank you. And uh, Fowl Fieball, another Jeremy. Good to see you as always, Jeremy. Thank you very much for that comment. All right, Kevin. We're wrapping up, man. I want I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, putting up with me being a few minutes late. Again, I don't have I don't have my internet. I'm literally on data for this whole show. So uh, thank you for for being a great guest while I was uh, out of my comfort zone and my element uh, running this show tonight. But Kevin, it's been great having you. Thanks for inviting all your followers to come join. I greatly appreciate it. And um, final comments over to you, and then we're gonna wrap up. First off, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was great to meet you at the National. You know, you mentioned, hey, we should get you in the show sometime, and it happened quick, and it was awesome. It was, I had a great time tonight. We've been on air for over two hours. Little clicker up top says, are we in overtime? Is this overtime? We are. We are. Hold on. Hold on. I, I can I can put us officially oh, in officially overtime. overtime? That there was we my, go. We're now officially my in overtime. I mean, it's it's twelve twelve where I am in the morning. I'm I'm wide awake, and this is just a great conversation. You're super easy to talk to, and I also want to um, commend the chat with some great comments in the chat tonight. I love the interactive part of this, being able to respond to people. I think that's super cool, and um, I just want to go back to something I said. I, I truly hope that you know through these interviews and you know different appearances and different people's shows and through the content I put out, I just hope the number one thing that comes through is that I love the hobby. And that I'm always trying to advance it and do whatever I can um, to embrace new people who come in and help people out wherever I can. Yes, this is my job. Yes, I got to sell cars to make money. But, um, you know, I hope that the love for the hobby comes through. And all I'll say is this and to end it, you know, if, if you see all these charts and graph guys on Instagram and, and, and social media and talking about how, you know, this it's, hobby's not in a good place and things like that. Like, if you don't think the hobby's in a good place, you got to step away from your computer, your keyboard and your phone and go to, go to a show, go to the national. Because there's no way you left the national feeling anything but completely positive about the outlook of where the hobby is and where it's headed. So I'm just, I'm so excited. Um, and just, you know, I'm just, I'm just such a happy guy. I'm, I'm blessed right now. I'm the happiest I've been in a long time able to do this right now. And, um, you know, I thank guys like you who put out this great content and educate people and, um, you know, give people a platform they can comment and, and the give and take. I just, I, I was so blown away by the comments, be able to interact with that. It was just such a fun time tonight, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks. I, I, I easily have the best chat going in this, in, in this hobby. And in, in my opinion, I'm probably biased, but I hear those comments a lot, Kev. So thank you so much. 
uh, want to let everybody know next Saturday, I do have uh, guests, guests slash guests lined up and um, it's going to be pretty impressive, I believe. Going to get a lot of information that a lot of people want that no one else has gotten yet uh, is going to happen on Sports Cards Live next Saturday. That's all I can say right now. A lot of information, a lot of people want that no one has got yet is going to come through on Sports Cards Live next Saturday. So be well, sure please. to join for that. All right, guys. Final comments. Uh, thank you very much, Bobby Champs, for being here. CS, agree. I don't think non-game use memo age well. Great show. Thank you so much. Lapper, have a great Sunday yourself. Rick Hawkins. Thank you for being here. Kevin, you hang tight. Everyone else, thank you so much for joining this evening. Have a great Sunday. This episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.